At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. There's a Moorish proverb that says, if what you learn, you can't do nothing with it, you wasted your time learning. Mm. You have to do something with everything that you're learning. As, as you have done your, your, your videos, your programs, your, uh, your activities with all the different scholars that you've spoken to, if at the end of that, the people that are watching you can't do something with it, oh. they wasted their time. What's the fact? You got to do something. Whoa, 19 keys had the brother on. He dropped some knowledge. Let me do some research. That's why I spell words for those that want to do that extra. Yes, sir. This is what we have to start. We have to understand who we are. We have to understand what this is. This is the kiss from the creator. This is Ra. Mm. This is the sun enveloping you and kissing you and bringing you out of the darkness of your mother's womb with a divine destiny. Yes, sir. And each and every one of us is born with a destiny. In fact, we were born to fulfill the destiny to make the world a better place. Mm. So it's not even like after you're born, you figure out what you got to do. You were given your assignment before you were conceived. I appreciate my pops for teaching me how to be a guy. From a boy to a man and ultimately back to the natural state of being, the two of God. As God's supposed to always move with that higher self. And I have to be able to execute it. Having knowledge is not power. The execution of knowledge is power. Knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. Because the only real knowledge you can get is knowledge of self. This is the highest level. The highest level is ownership. The highest level is power. The highest level is sovereignty. The highest level is higher consciousness. The highest level is when we own our own culture. It's at a very high level. Not high level. A high level. It's time for a high level conversation. We're here for another high level conversation. conversation. High level conversation. Tap in with the guy. Peace, family. Welcome back to another high level conversation. Today, we brought here for a very special opportunity. The opportunity is to correct, to learn, and to grow, and building with our elders, those who come before us as we honor them and venerate them, and at the same time as we build, learn, and converse. Society is going through what we've already known, which is the class of consciousness, the clash of education. 
White fragility is at an all-time high, and they fear the educated black man. They fear the educated black woman. And they even fear the properly educated on the history of black people, a white man or specifically a young girl, white girl or white boy. Because once they learn, it develops more fragility. It develops more insecurity. It develops more guilt for some to know the truth of the history. And so when we see things like you know, the Santos being afraid of black people taking a curriculum to where they get to learn about themselves. The question becomes why? Because they believe that it will empower them and that it will change the dynamics, right, of the country. So it's the same thing that happened during slavery time where they don't want you to read. It's not that now, it's not the fact that we don't want you to read or certain things we don't want you to read because there's certain things that we don't want you to know. The brother that is here with me today is a person that has been doing this for decades. He made a decision to be a healer in the world, to be a doctor of the world, and by that I mean to be a teacher. I'm on my journey of becoming a master teacher. I'm not there. I am striving to earn this crown on my head. I'm striving to earn the title of master thought leader. These are things that I'm striving towards. And when you're striving to something, things that keep you on the disciplined path is by becoming a disciple of that which you want to become. And the brother that is here today is a master teacher. So today I get to indulge and learn and absorb and observe so that I can continue on this path of becoming a master teacher from a master teacher. I want to thank this brother as well because off camera we were just talking about the impossibility to measure the metrics of his effect that he's had on the world. As so many black men and throughout history, history does not properly um, record, right? The amount of things that we have done in the pie chart of our success and how it has shifted the world. But when it comes to the knowledges of our history and our study of self and cosmology and melanin and the ancient man and the ancient woman, the original man, this brother has been there at the center of it all. He's been in great documentaries as a source of education, as a resource, like the Timbuktu Library, right? They say when an ancestor dies, so does, right, a tree of wisdom, right? And so it's very unfortunate when our elders are not documented. Stories are not documented. So I believe that it is my responsibility to make sure that the world know those who came before because without them, there's no foundation for me to stand on. So part of this process of high-level conversations is honoring those who came before me, who laid the foundation so that I can walk upright on this path. Because you may think it's hard for me, but they made it easier for me. So I want to thank the good brother Kaba for being here today. Peace to you, my brother. Peace to you. I appreciate you. Thank you for the opportunity. No doubt. Man, we about to get into a good conversation today, mm -hmm. brother. We're going to have a whole bunch of conversations even before. <laughs> we had to stop because we had to shut it down. <laughs> and usually get like that. That's why I like the care to be set up already because, you know, some of the sidebar conversations are, you know, they high bar. Yes, minister, I mean, no doubt. 
So I want I want to jump right into it. First, I want to start with um giving you some context on what I was studying in preparation for this, and I it was four time systems um, that I was looking at. And the reason I was looking at because I wanted to give people um, an opportunity to view their experience and reality in the way that our ancestors did. The way we experience time, the way that we see ourselves is not the same way our ancestors seen themselves. The way we look at slavery, right, is from the lens, right, of after slavery. It's from the lens of those who went through that experience lost their way, and now they don't look at it the same way as that people who went through it would have looked at it, having those principles, concepts, structures, beliefs, ideologies about time and reality itself. So as I was studying, these are the four things that came up that I feel will benefit the society because we're now in so-called Black History Month, you know, but as Kanye West said, and I said it before, but I'm giving that you know, black future month. So one of them was ancestral time. Ancestral time was represented uh, by cycles. No, no, first we're going to start with cyclical time because I want to go in order. And this is my book of keys for all of those who are watching. When you get into the book of keys, I only bring it out for the master teachers to make sure that my thoughts are aligned. So cyclical time, it goes from birth, growth, decline, and renewal right? The ability to see life as cycles, right? So it gives you a high level overview of life rather than thinking about, you know, um, the individual perspectives of things that happen to you, right? Or getting caught up in, you know, oh, New Year's just came when we really still going through wintertime. We haven't even finished out the cycle that we're in, right? And then you have ancestral time, which is Remembering the sacrifices of the ancestors, right? Honoring your ancestors and the lessons of your ancestors, their martyrism, their death, right? Their life and what that actually means. And then you have cosmic time, right? And cosmic time is looking at a high level view of reality and how all things are connected, right? And then you have living time. And looking at time as not something to be measured, but something to be experienced, right? Time is something that you do. And when I think about something like cyclical time, we can measure our lives at whether we're in growth phases, whether in decline phases, or whether we're in renewal phases, right? And then, of course, you also have collective time, which is the collective responsibility that time only moves when we do as a collective. So if we were to look at that, the goal is to gain wisdom, strength, brilliance, and resilience from learning different systems of our ancestors, right? Learning the different knowledge systems and what they use to perceive. So if we take that system and we say, how do you view slavery from that, right? That could have been a period that we went through as a cycle, right? How do you view our progress as a people? Well, if we view it from a collective time system, which we often do, we say we not making progress because we know that is our collective responsibility that we have not went anywhere until we go somewhere. The individual making progress does not push the needle of time. The collective making progress pushes the needle of time, right? 
So it changes our very concept instead of the linear idea of time that the Western world gives us. We're here at this point and we move forward, right? In cosmic time, things are not just moving in a linear sense, right? Things are happening in a circular sense, right? There are events that are interconnected and everything has a meaning on cause and effect. That is the balance of reality. So therefore, it allows us to look at our past. It allows us to look at our ancestors. It allows us to look at us as a collective, right? And we can learn lessons from it rather than look at it as trauma. Because if we look at it as a collective organism, it was necessary cycle in order for us to grow and learn from so that we can get to a place of renewal, right? But if we only look at it from that is our past, that is our trauma, right? Then we can get stuck there, right? And we can't move forward. And so I like to give people different systems of thinking so it gives you new options on how to create your own new reality. What is your perspective of the different time systems that our ancestors practice and the meaning that it has for us to be able to, you know, um, think, feel, and sense like our ancestors had once done? The, the, the approach towards time as it relates to time is irrelevant as it relates to a cosmic reality. Yes, sir. The other thing I'd like to just delve into is the fact that although I say it's African, it's really universal because there is only one race on the planet, and that's the human race. Mm -hmm. And that human race was conceived and born and nurtured, sustained, educated, technologized in Africa. And when Africans got their show on the road, then they took it around the world. So that when you're looking at cyclical time, you can combine all those four times that you talked about and realize the fact from the perspective that I see is that you're dealing with a concept of the idea of before the beginning began. Mm -hmm. So time existed before time existed. Yes, sir. And that's what our ancestors dared to talk about. What existed before existence existed? Mm. Just like us, each and every one of us existed. We were in the cosmic reality. It just took our mommy and daddy to concretize that, uh, to have a big bang, so to speak, mm -hmm. and for us to be conceived. Yes, sir. So that you have the idea of before the beginning began, our existence. And that's very important in relationship to the universal concept because we know in science, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It just takes on different forms. So we existed before we were conceived. Yes, sir just not in that form. So then we were conceived. And then from conception, 10 months later, 40 weeks later, we were born. Mm. Then you have the period of growth. And then growth, you then have aging. Aging to death, death to decay, and decay to resurrection. Mm. And then you have the concept of the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And so our ancestors understood the reality of what we face as a people, scientifically, is that we have always been around and we will always be around. And that while we may miss a parent, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, a child, the reality is, is that we're all going to be in the same place one day. It's just that some got off a little bit earlier than others. Yeah. And so death, as we know, didn't exist. Death was another doorway to the eternal temple of immortality. 
And so why, while we as human beings mourn the loss of a mother who we loved or a father, or whatever, we knew that one day we'd be back together again. That's why in New Orleans, they have that special uh, ceremony where they'll mourn you to the graveyard, but then sing when the saints go marching in on the way back and have a celebration. In the Western perspective, death is real because they were not of us all the time. They are new. The people that we today call Eurasians are no older than 10,000 years old. Mm. Black folk been around for millions of years. Mm. There was a time on this planet where we were the only humans on this planet. Yes, sir. And as you said in your introduction, that fear that they have in their heart is one day we're going to realize it. Mm -hmm. And when our young people, this is why I reach out 19 keys to our young people, because I want them to know, yeah, we got difficult days, but it's going to be all right. Yes, sir. You just got to keep on keeping on realizing it ain't over till we win. Yes, sir. But then when we win, the winning is not a finality. The winning is just getting to that point where we can continue on our great and mighty walk prior to us being so rudely interrupted by mm -hmm. Indo-Europeans. When they came upon us, when we were moving out of the homo sapien sapien stage, and we were moving into super sapien stage, mm. there were Africans that were in the continent of Africa and around the world that had delved deep into cosmic consciousness. They had moved beyond the homo sapien sapien stage and moved into an intellect that dared to touch on what's called instinctive intuition. Mm. See, animals have instinct. Yes, sir. Humans have intuition. Yes, sir. But when you get that mother's wit, when you get that wit that goes beyond that, where you can do things without having to think about it, mm. that's instinctive intuition or intuitive instinct. Yes, sir. However you want to call it. But that is where Africans were heading when they had touched the hem of his garment. You see, when I listen to a lot of the gospel songs, I can see what that is. I can understand what they're saying. It sounds like it's coming out of the Christian faith, but it's coming out of hoodoo, brother. It's coming out of voodoo. Uh. It's coming out of candomblé. It's coming out of the Orishas. It's coming out of the Netaru. It's coming out of that inside original human being that dwells within us. And if we were to ever be taught who we really are, the game is over. Yeah. That's powerful. When you talk about intuition, because intuition is an innate, but it can be a super sense. We talked about off camera. Now, of course, we have more than five senses, but in school, school teaches you about the five, mm -hmm. right? And so by only learning about the five, the smell, the touch, the see, the hear, the taste, you think of yourself in a very physical way, right? You learn how to sense in a very physical way, right? But then when you add up the, you talked about how thinking is a sense, intuition is a sense, and emotions are a sense, right? You have your gut feeling, right? You have a sense. There is um, different chrono perceptions, the sense of time, right? There is um, kinesthesia, the sense of movement. There is um, uh, equal, uh, equilib equal real perception, the sense of balance, right? And, you know, animals have senses that we don't have, like electrical senses and magnetic senses and things of that nature. But we don't think of ourselves from a non-corporeal state. 
right? We think of ourselves from a very physical place. So when we talk about God, right, we're talking about all of the non-physical attributes of ourselves as well. All of the other physical, the non-physical senses that make us who we are. But because man has been, you know, uh, taught to be monkey-brained, right, to think uh, to to think only towards his flesh, right? We don't learn the power of the spirit. We don't learn the power of the soul. We don't learn the power of the electrical body, right? We don't learn how to utilize the chi, the, the kijong function, right, of who we are. We don't learn how to sense things beyond self, right? And that is a very unfortunate reality that current man is living, but ancient man did not live. He was not taught about five senses, that wouldn't be crazy. So if ancient man believes that he has a sense of things beyond what he can see, right? Because, you know, we have an inner knowing that we can breathe, but we don't have to touch it. And you talked about it. It's an essence, right? There's an essence about the woman that is non-physical, but we've been taught to appreciate the woman and be attracted to the most physical things about her. So she augments her physical traits, right? A man can be a connoisseur of the derriere, right? More than the essence of the woman now because he's only taught, right, to utilize his physical senses and now he has been demeaned down to a flesh bag of thinking. So now he can look at her backside, he can look at her ass, right? But he never think about her soul or her spirit or the essence of who she is. So he's not attracted to none of that. And those senses haven't developed to even notice that, right? So he's been destroyed to that of a dog, right? And so now he turns her into a bitch, right? And so learning to incorporate, right, those other senses and your sense of self, right, which is another sense, awareness, that part of us that never change, right, is a very key factor. How did ancient peoples um, think about senses, right, as they move throughout the world and they develop these systems that we get to appreciate today, such as mathematics. They were conscious of it. Uh. See, we do it. We do it all the time. Mama say, you see what I'm talking about? Mm. She's not talking about your two physical eyes. <laughs> yeah. She's talking about your third eye. Yes, sir. You know? Grandma say, you heard what I said? Mm -hmm. She's not talking about your two ears. Yes, sir. She's talking about your spiritual ear. Yes, sir. Comprehension. Mm. Have you ever tasted something that's not in your mouth? Mm. Smell something that you didn't sniff? Yes, sir. Were you ever touched by something that didn't touch you? Mm. Did you ever think a thought that wasn't necessarily in your conscious but was in your subconscious? Mm. We do it all the time. We're just not conscious of it. Mm. And this society has us believing that we are insane when we do. Yes, sir. We are constantly, our ancestors dwell within us. You know, thanks to Ancestral Footprints, um, it's, it's on Instagram. When you think about the ancestors, when you, when, when you think, Brother 19, Keys, who we are, who you are, who I am, what, what makes us who we are? You know, we, we have this concept of, and, and a lot of people do it, because I think the ultimate thing that makes us create or develop or want to commit suicide is we think we're alone. Mm. I, I think that's the bottom thought in suicide. We're alone in this, and there's nobody with us. 
But our ancestors understood something phenomenal, and I'd like to take you through the math of it. And I was working with a brother going for his PhD in math, and we came up with these concepts, and I said to him, okay, I gave him what I was talking about, and he gave me the mathematical formula. And I said, well, what is it called? He said, well, it doesn't quite have a name. I said, well, let's be bold and we'll name it ourselves. And so what I call it is the exponential expansion equation, e mm. to the three. Exponential e uh, expansion equation. You have two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents -grandpa uh, great on down the line, okay? If a generation, let's say, is 25 years, mm -hmm. every generation is 25 years. If I took you back 20 generations, it took 1,048,576 human beings to bring you into existence today, mm. each and every one of us, as 1,048,576 human beings. Oh. And we think we're alone. Our ancestors, you walk with your ancestors, you eat with your ancestors. All you got to do is recognize them. Oh. They're talking to you all the time. This society got you thinking you insane when you listen to those voices. Right. That's that ancestral time. That's what it is, constantly. See, they cannot, at one time in their living is one thing, but now that they are in the next realm, they cannot see with their eyes. Oh. They cannot smell with their nose. They cannot uh, have the senses that we have, but they live through us. Mm -hmm. They see the world through our eyes, through our ears, nose, tongue, skin, mind. They are in a realm that knows better on a spiritual level that we have yet to conquer on the physical level. Mm -hmm. So when you listen to your ancestors talking to you, then they can tell you things that you don't know. Mm. And then they can celebrate life through you. Mm. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yes, sir. In Congo, there's a brilliant scholar. He's an ancestor now, Dr. Fukia. And he wrote a book called Kindezi, K-I-N-D-E-Z-I. I'm a teacher, but I got to spell stuff. <laughs> because if the audience would like to check it out, I want them to know that this is put it on the screen now. Yeah, K-I-N-D-E-Z-I, Dr. Fukia, F-U, uh, I think it's K-I-A-H, Kimbanduende. Uh, and he wrote a book, it's called The Art of Congolese Babysitting. And it talked about the relationship, the special relationship between the grandchild and the grandparent. The grandchild is fresh from the ancestral line, and the grandparents are on their way to the ancestral line. Mm. The grandchildren remind the grandparent through that those phases of time of life what it was like when they were in the ancestral world. And the grandparent prepares the grandchild to live that life through so they will have a better way and go beyond what the grandparent actually achieved. There's a special relationship. And there are things that grandparents do with grandchildren. I know because I do it with my own. We all do it, but we don't know it. Uh -huh. You see, there's a difference between being conscious uh -huh. and being conscious of your conscious. Uh -huh. For instance, your crowns yes, sir. that you wear, those symbols all around. Yes, sir. You go, okay, that's the moon. Okay, that's a star. Okay, that's a special star. Yes, sir. But are you conscious of that consciousness? Mm. Do you understand why the, why the half moon uh, and, and the star is in the middle of the head and not turned it the other way? There's something about that 
as it relates to the pioneer gland. Yes, sir. So that we have to be conscious of this. And what they've done is they've dumbed us down. They, they have made us get stuck in this episode that we call enslavement, not realizing that was one of the most phenomenal times in our life. Family, I'm going to look at you now. I don't know how to look at you, but I'm going to look at you. I'm going to ask you, give me time to explain what I'm saying. Yes, sir. Dr. King once said, your character is not built during times of comfort and convenience. It's built during times of conflict and controversy. Yes, sir. The human being was put to the ultimate test when we were enslaved. And here we sit, mm. 400 plus years later, talking to each other, younger to elder, to the audience. That's a miracle. Yes, sir. We get so caught up in the trauma. Yeah, there was trauma, but celebrate. You know, I, I visited Curacao. I was doing work in Curacao, which is a Dutch-speaking island right off the coast of South America, Aruba, yeah. Bonaire, Curacao. I was in Curacao, and I visited a uh, cultural center. And in this cultural center, the sister that's one of the teachers there said that although they teach what happened during the enslavement process, what they focus on is the celebration that they survived. Mm. Do you know the difference between studying and living in trauma and studying and living in overcoming trauma? Mm. It gives you the ability that tells you you can do anything you want to do. Right. There ain't nothing you can do. Okay, you did that. You went through that, the pain. The suffering, yes, that's there. But that was a test from the creator of all. That makes me think of the point of understanding who we are. See, if you view it through a lens of ignorance, you don't realize that you were made to go through certain things. Right. So if you did not know what boxing was, right, and you see a man thrown into the ring, right, and he's in there fighting, you would think that man was fighting for his life and scared. That man decided to go into that sport, and that makes him feel alive. Another person gets thrown into that ring, they scared to death. It would destroy them. It would give them trauma. They would never want to be around violence ever again because they weren't made for that. Black people, melanated people, African people, original people, whatever you want to call it, everybody who shares this complexion, right? We were made different. Now, what is that making of different? That molecule, uh, when you look underneath what melanin is, is a multifunctional molecule. It can do a few things at once, right? What gives us the rhythm, right? Our swing and flow. It is a very intelligent thing when you think about it. And that melanin being intelligent, it converts, right? The harsh conditions of ultraviolet radiation and it takes something that would be violent and cancerous, right? To someone else and converts it into an energy source. So it takes us through an alchemical process, right? If you understand it, it looks like you're witnessing a miracle. If we're going through global warming, the planet would benefit from getting darker, right? Because if the planet is getting darker and more radiation is coming, the people that are the darkest will survive it the best because 
at the beginning of the world, it was just dark people. And those people were primed with the ability to be able to handle the conditions that they were in and to absorb that and utilize it for a source of good. As I was listening to a neuroscience, he was giving a breakdown. He said, you know, in the forming of the brain, the eyes are the bulge of the brain, right? And we don't think about the eyes being a part of the brain. We look at it as separate, but no, the eyes are part of that process of the bulging of the brain. So when we're sun gazing, we're bringing sun into the eyes and that sun is being converted for something good, connecting us back to, right, that uh, 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 synchronistic rhythm, right, of the planet Earth itself, right? We are destined to convert, right, energy. So during the process of going through the fire, right, what normally would be a bad thing for someone else, right, can be converted for a substance of good. And this is why people are wondrous. How are they able to go through what they went through and still have so much good come out of it? Because we converted everything that was happening to us. And we made something that was normally a bad thing, right? Uh, 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 the, the fire, the trial and the tribulation. And we converted that fire into becoming more. So we invented, we innovated, we created culture, we created music, we created sound, we created from that. That was our process that was alchemical. So when you look at that from a cosmic time perspective, you have to look at a divine plan. That's it. Right? That's it. If, if we didn't go through that, we wouldn't have been able to teach everybody who we really are. And we would not have been able to bring the world to the next level. Yes, sir. And by that I mean, brother, 19 keys is this. There was a time in the existence of the world, we as an African people, we lived in heaven. We lived in a beautiful uh, place that fruit was abundant. Yes, sir. We did have our challenges, but for the most part, the creator, nature gave us everything. And we created, our creator came out of our perception of abundance, love. Our nature loved us. Yes, feeding us, the weather and all that. And we created these stories as it, as it came out of Central and Southern Africa, the Twa people, it then moved into the Kushite people, West Africa, and then moved into Kemet, what we call Egypt. And in Kemet, they developed this story. And out of this story, they created visuals of it. And out of these visuals, they created pyramids. Miru, if we want to use the comedic term, M-I-R-U, Meru, or what the Greeks call house of fire or pyramids. And in this civilization, you had the, the DNA of the pyramid builder, the scholar, the brilliant, male-female relationships in balance, creating civilizations, dynastic systems. Creator said, okay, but you also created the lake of fire. The lake of fire that is protected by four baboons on either side to keep the evil in. That was where hell came from. The sacred fire. Not a fire with oxygen. It was a fire scalding water mm. where those that acted wrong were thrown into there. Mm. And the baboons made sure you couldn't get out. Mm. They protected the heaven in that hell. You talk about it, but you don't know it. 
So I'm going to take a group of y'all out, and I'm going to put you in hell. And that hell was called the plantations. Mm. And he said, but I'm going to give you enough of that DNA for you to remember the pyramids. Mm. I'm going to give you just that touch. I'm going to disassociate you from the pyramid mind, but I'm going to give you a little touch so that some of your ancestors will remember the time. And out of that plantation living in hell, we had hell, we had heaven. They say, but you ain't ready yet. So the creator said, I'm gonna put you in purgatory to make you think of me. Mm. That was the projects. Mm. Mm. Okay. And we have the DNA of the projects, but the key is this, brother, 19 keys. We are promised the promised land. So Dr. King was right. That last speech he gave, Yes, sir. The burning house. I have gone up to the mountaintop. And the creator has allowed me to look over. And I've seen the promised land. He said, I want you to know tonight. What was interesting about that? Cosmic consciousness. Mm. Martin Luther King knew on April 3rd, 1968, that he would not be around April 4th, 1960. Mm. So what he said in a prophetic way, he said, I want you to know tonight that we as a people we'll get to the promised land. We have difficult days there. So the point that I'm making is this. You and I, Amici, and all those that are in your staff, all those that are listening to this program, we all have the DNA of the pyramid builders. We have the DNA of the plantation dwellers. We have the DNA of those on the projects, but most importantly, we have the DNA of those who will possess the promised land one day. And that's what I want our young people to understand. We have difficult days ahead, but we as a people, 19 Keys, are going to get to the promised land. Yes, sir. We just got to deal with these people that rudely interrupted us when we was doing some great things. Now, listen, a little housekeeping. We have Sports Moss. Sports Moss is what I've been using to get big. Now, I know some of y'all been seeing me and y'all been asking me if I'm going to play the next Black Adam, right? Y'all want to know if I'm going to get into wrestling or into boxing or I'm going to start bodybuilding and all those things. Now, the answer is no, right? I'm developing these broad shoulders and arms and legs because I can, right? I wanted to develop myself into the greater version, but I couldn't do it without the sports moss. Two of these a day, and it increases adenosine triphosphate, which helps deliver that oxygen to my blood while I'm working out, right? And then it helps decrease recovery time. So in this, it says we got the elderberry in there. We got the vitamin D, the sea moss, the zinc, and the cordyceps. Now, that conversation, how you tapped in. This is the super saiyan, you understand me, pill right here. Yeah. Then we got the vitamin C moss. We have uh, smart moss. So each one does something different. Y'all know we don't be getting enough sun, so you got to get that vitamin D in you anyway to regulate the hormones. You got to get that vitamin C because we don't naturally produce ascorbic acid. So you got to get it through food or some sort of supplementation in order for you to be balanced. You got to get that green tea extract in there, help build up that immune system. Now we got shrooms, but not the shrooms that give you the psychedelic experience, right? But it is the shrooms that help you increase your psychic abilities, meaning your mind, meaning your brain. 
right? As we age and we develop, we get old, decrepit, can't remember things, start to lose things. So we got to tap in, especially in a world that's constantly making us mentally exhausted. Then, of course, we got the goal. Now, y'all already know the goal, man, a goal to have us tapped into our electrical wiring systems to your brain synapses is firing just like you was a baby. You're constantly developing, regrowing, and reflowing, right? So if you want to tap into those energy systems of mineralizations that I use to tap into my body, rather than being infused with the chemicalizations to where you no longer got body, y'all come tap into the gold water pills, man. And and see, that's that's the the beauty of it is that if you believe yourself to be of God nature, right, we come from a God tribe, let's say a God nation. You are members of this God nation just as a people, we were building and making collective progress together. We took on the responsibility of time. That time will only move if we do. So let's move time. That's what the ancient civilization responsibility was, was the movement of time itself, because we can only marker what has happened in the past by the movements of the collectives. And so they decided to move the needle for us. And they were members and they built up astronomy. They built or they discovered, right, astronomy and they discovered mathematics and they discovered geometry and they discovered systems and they invented things. Then they were God members inventing and moving time. And as you say, the disruption come. This disruption for the details of what happened, let's say, causes us to become dismembered. So we're no longer moving in a collective function, right? And our own vacuum of progress alongside each other, right? And so now that we are dismembered, we forget who we are. They, 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 they kill you, steal your history, tell you are nothing, and then use that same knowledge to become your guide. And so you're worshiping the part of yourself in them that you think is greater than yourself because they robbed you of the ability to remember that it was you that it came from in the first place. And so now we at this place where we say, if you only had knowledge yourself, if you only knew who you were, the world would be yours. So I look at that and I love words because words are beautiful. Words are symbols, right? And we always say you have to remember, right? You have to remember meaning you have to become a member of that God nation again. And once you know where you come from and what you was doing, you all come back together, organize, and you're now a member again, and y'all go back to making progress, right? But we haven't remembered. We haven't come back together, right? And so when you forgot, you are dismembered. You are, uh, uh, there's no unity. And that's why everybody say, yo, we need unity because we need to remember. We have to come back and become members of that God nation again. That's when human beings, the human race, starts to make real progress. The first AI is us, right? We, we, we were the uh, we are the original intelligence. So they call it artificial because they're trying to simulate what they seen when they met us. These mm -hmm. brothers was building mathematical systems. They had knowledge of the stars. The average man go type in AI, he can get an answer for something instantly. He went to the black man and got an asked for something. How do you know this? Uh, don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you cannot comprehend what, how we got it. Okay. And we have senses you know nothing about. Mm -hmm. 
You talk about psychology and of the mind, you don't know the spirit, the unseen. You don't understand the essence. So we will tell you a little bit, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. This is my my African this yeah. says, uh, sound good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they 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 were able to understand the connection between all things, the intangible things, such a physical man, right? Um, but once coming to that point, I want everybody to remember. Right. And when we all remember, we all come back together and we become members again of that collective progress, you know, but I want to ask you about cosmology. You know, I walk around with the cosmos on my head all day long. Yeah. It's a great reminder. Yes, it is. I have to remember at all times. That's it. Right. And the cosmos is beautiful because when you look at the you look at the moon and you look at the sun and you look at the stars and you think about the planets, you think about the universe, then there's a beautiful divine connection between all things. And it intrigues man because man has now gotten to this point where he feels like physical evidence is the only way he can know things, right? So he's in an infinite loop of curiosity, right? And never understanding when there are tribes around the world that say we already know. There's nothing for us to figure out, right? You all are trying to come up with all these scientific inventions and evidences, and you figuring out your scientific methods, but we already know, right? So they're no longer on that search anymore. They're more advanced. Why scientists would say, no, you guys are primitive. You think that that's the star simply talking to the Dogon people. Mm -hmm. Then hundreds of years later, they invent all these machines only to prove what they already knew, right? Because they never forgot. So they don't have to remember. It's still there and it's still passed down. And so we don't get to make progress. Mm -hmm. But in the study of cosmology, what attracted you to that? And what is the benefit of our people to have an understanding of the cosmos? We are the cosmos. Mm. There is a book, Kibayan, yes, that sir. says the universe is mental. Mm. Mm. Think in terms of a dark room. Everything is dark, can't see a thing. Okay, you find a light switch, you turn it on, and you see the lamp, you see the chairs, the tables, the candle, you see it all. My question to you is, did all those things appear in a room when you turned the light on? No, they were always there, your light just wasn't on. And turning on the light of your mind is like finding the cosmic encyclopedia, known as the Akashic Records that tells us that you're born with everything that has ever existed, that exists, and will ever exist. Mm. And all you have to do is go on a search for it. And when you find it, see, but nobody can turn your light switch on. That's the key. Nature is not cruel, but she's not going to give it to you like that. Mm. You have to search for it. Yes, sir. When you find the light switch, only you can turn your light switch on. But once you turn it on and you see everything, you can't not see it anymore. And so our ancestors, when you go to the Dogon, okay, the Dogon of Mali, West Africa, my research of the Dogon explains that there were two French anthropologist historians, Dieterlin and Griot, that went and lived with the Dogon for a while. This was years ago, in the 20th century. And they celebrated this star that's called Sirius B, uh -huh. or Kizzy Uzi, 
the littlest thing, the littlest star. And this star is said to circle Sirius A, the big star, every 50 years. But every 60 years, they have a celebration. Okay? And this celebration celebrates Sigi Tolo. Tolo means star, Sigi. Okay? They celebrate it. Now, we know that the Kushites also celebrated this. So this is a remnant of collected information. But every 60 years, they had a celebration. Only every 60 years, they celebrated this revolution around Sirius A, of Sirius B. And in this celebration, they created what's called a Kanaga mask. K-A-N-A-G-A. I'm a teacher, brother, so I'm going to do a lot no, of spelling. We won't be here for our level because, of say Because I want folk to get their pens and pencils and notebook out because we got to study this. We have to know this so that when we face these individuals, we shut the room down. Because I'm not coming with no emotion. It's science. Science is knowledge from the word scient. And so for me, it's important for the community to know how to spell it, to go research it, and then do what you do. Mm. But they built a Kanaga mask every 60 years for this. And after the celebration, they would take it to a special room, and they would put this Kanaga mask on a chair that they built specifically for this Kanaga mask. When Griol and Dieterlin were there, they went to one of the celebrations of the Sigi ceremony. And they saw the room where the Kanaga mask was brought. And this is going to complete the room. There were 12 masks in the room. Now, every mask represents 60 years that they knew this star that wasn't seen by the Western world until 1971. Mm. The Dogon people knew of this little star in this room. Now, when you multiply 60 uh, times 12, I think the number 720, you're going back to the 1300s. When that room was started, mm. and whoa, Griot Didoline was taken back. They said, this is how long you've known about this. Yes. No. We have two more rooms with 12 beds. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when you talk about the ancientness of our genius... You can understand why they don't want us to know who we are. Absolutely. We have to understand as a people what has happened. Malcolm was right. We've been bamboozled. Uh -huh. We don't know our greatness. But the other piece to knowing knowledge is to do something with it. Uh -huh. And that's the key. There's a Moorish proverb that says, if what you learn, you can't do nothing with it, you wasted your time learning. You got to do something with everything that you're learning. As as you have done your 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 videos, your programs, your uh your activities with all the different scholars that you've spoken to, if at the end of that the people that are watching you can't do something with it, oh. they wasted their time. What's the fact? You gotta do something. Oh, 19 Keys had the brother on, he dropped some knowledge. Let me do some research. That's why I spell words. For those that want to do that extra. Yes, sir. This is what we have to start. We have to understand who we are. We have to understand what this is. This is the kiss from the creator. This is Ra. Mm. This is the sun enveloping you and kissing you and bringing you out of the darkness of your mother's womb with a divine destiny. Yes, sir. 
And each and every one of us is born with a destiny. In fact, we were born to fulfill the destiny to make the world a better place. Mm. So it's not even like after you're born, you figure out what you got to do. You were given your assignment before you were conceived. Mm. One more thing I want to drop. When a mother, when a woman has a baby, that embryo inside of her, let's say it's a sister, that sister has the seed of all of her children. When grandmother was born, she was born with the, with the egg that would create her daughter. But then that daughter was in the embryo of her daughter. So her daughter was born when grandmother was born, when grandmother's mother was born. And that goes back to the ancestors that dwell within us. 1,048,576 human beings it took over that period of 20 generations to bring us into existence. But I only brought you back 500 years. 1,048,576 human beings existed to bring you into existence. Yeah. How many of you got if I took you back 5 million years? Mm. And we think we're alone? We walk with our ancestors. They're in us all the time. And they are asking us, open up to me. Mm. I got something to tell you. Yes, sir. Listen to what I'm saying. Follow your intuition. This is science, Brother 19 Keys. This isn't emotion. And I'm not taking you into the twilight zone. Yes, sir. This is what our ancestors knew. So with all the questions you're saying, like what we can do with this, what is the difference between our ancestors and us? There's only one difference. Mm. They knew they were the creator having a human experience. Mm. And they were conscious of their consciousness. They were brought up in Kendezi by the grandparents to tell that baby. When mother and father were off doing work, the grandfather, grandmother was saying, baby child, I'm, I, I can't do the good African accent. Baby child. Yes. Your ancestors dwell within you. Yes, sir. Okay, and never forget that. And when you're down there and you're thinking and you're needing help, call out to the ancestors and one day I won't be here. Mm. Call me. I'll be there. That makes me think. Now that's good because my purpose is not to make you believe me. It's simply to make you think. Yes, sir. That's the purpose of high-level conversations. You know, it's to, to, to help people think. Um. Peace, family. There's power, structure, order, community, intelligence, liberation, freedom. These are words that describe what we're doing and what we're building. See, there's a world of individualism out there. You're fighting to try to satisfy your ego instead of being a part of an eco. And once you become a part of an ecosystem, now you have wisdom around you. Now you have intelligence. Now you have a mastermind of those who know more than you. And once you have access to information, technology, community, and education, now you have all the things that you need in order to build your own foundation, your own nation. You understand me? This is my family, and I want you to join it as well. Make sure you tap into the Block World Order so we can get you together.
I want to talk about darkness. Mm. As you talked about the woman and in her womb, it had me thinking about, you know, <laughs> our blood, that electrical flow of fluids, right? Within that, it's millions of years of information. It is the life force that flows through us, right? That is our ancestral force. It connects and binds us all. If I lose mine, and if you have the same type of ancestral fluid in you, you can give me yours and give me life by sharing blood. That's the beauty of the human connection that we all have. Whether you like that person or not, if they are a match, they could save your life. But also I think about everything in our body that makes us alive and function well as human beings and healthy exist in the darkness our whole entire life. Our kidneys, our heart, our blood, there is no actual color to it. The color is the spectrum of light that we view once it hits light, but it has no color. It exists in the darkness. It is dark our whole lives. Our blood is fluid of darkness our whole life, right? If we didn't have a developed uh, a mental sense of color, because color is mental, it's a mental perception, right? Based on the spectrum of light that we view. But beyond that, it is darkness all day long. And we don't learn how to appreciate the darkness because in darkness is where things thrive and flow, right? We're born in darkness, right? The universe is made of dark matter and energy. When we sleep, we sleep in darkness. Without darkness, we could get no rest, right? Without darkness, we could not reset. We could not Everything that we learn, once we learn it, we have to then go in the darkness to download it, <laughs> right? Otherwise, we could not process anything without darkness. So you cannot appreciate duality of reality without appreciating darkness. You cannot appreciate light without darkness. You can't appreciate good without bad, right? And so in that sense, same way we look at the melanin on the outside, but we don't think about the melanin on the inside, right? My eyes are dark. That is a dark melanin, meaning that it absorbs light and it is trapped there. And because it is trapped there, this melanin represents intelligence. It is in key functions and areas within our brain and our body, and it is assisting us converting energy that we can utilize, right? And we complain about the darkness that we go through, but even the darkness is just preparation. It's where we grow. It's where things thrive. There are Things on this planet Earth that have never seen light, right? They've only seen darkness. But if you put something only in light, you destroy a cycle of growth and it dies, right? Life requires darkness. Now, when we think about creating life, you can't create life unless you go into the primordial waters of darkness, which is the woman. When a man dips his stick into the primordial waters, he has to go into the darkness you know, it's not a darkness that you see. That's why it's darkness. But when you go inside a woman, you're going into, right, that primordial waters, that God chamber, that God factory, and you're going into that darkness and you're sticking yourself inside there. And now what is happening? That process of creation, right? And so without embracing darkness, you can't embrace life. Without embracing darkness, you can't give birth to anything. So there's nothing to look 
at, in our past is bad because all of the darkness brings the light. And I'm going to let you say it because you said it so profound when you talked about the differences in the speeds of light versus darkness. The only thing that exists is darkness. Mm. Before the beginning began, there was only the darkness. Every holy book will tell you that. The darkness, mm. the dark. When you look at stars, stars are crystallized blackness, mm. just like a diamond on earth is crystallized blackness. Mm. Just like the gasoline you put in your mm. car is fossil fuel darkness. When, when, when dark matter is pushed in on itself through dark energy, constantly, 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 it gets to the point where there's no more space. It becomes an atul. It becomes a very small essence of matter. Can't go no more place because there's no more space because energy has pushed it in. It then implodes and explodes, and that's stars. Mm. Stars are the result of, of, of darkness pushed in on itself. And the evidence is a diamond. Stars are crystallized darkness. Mm. So in a sense, even stars are darkness, but at a different level. Mm. Just like when you look at the darkness of what creates a diamond in the ground. That's a manifestation of another level of darkness. Mm -hmm. Kindergarten children. My background's education, teaching children. One of the ways I taught the beauty of darkness and the black is simple. Take a white piece of paper and take the eight colors. They're called primary. You only really have four primary colors. Red, yellow, blue, indigo. Those are basically the primary colors. And then you have secondary colors, which is when you blend the two colors. When you, uh, when you, when you go to the top, you have red, which is infrared. Okay, you have, you have red. And at the bottom, you have ultraviolet, purple. These are the eight colors. Crayons, just say crayons. You draw a line with the red. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, when you go to the other primary color, yellow, if you mix red and yellow, you get orange. So the secondary color of red and, and, and yellow is orange. You take an orange crayon and you draw across the red. Yes, sir. Then you get the yellow. You draw a line over the red and orange. That other primary color is blue. Yellow. When you mix yellow and blue, you get green. So now you take the green crayon. You draw a line over that and then a blue. And then you on the other side, you have indigo. So you take indigo and you take uh, the blue, you draw, and the secondary color is another indigo. Indigo is the only color that comes twice in the rainbow. That's why in the spectrum, it's longer than all the other colors. Yeah. Then you have red and indigo, you get purple. So now you've got red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, indigo, purple. What is the color of that one line that has collected all those crayons. Black. Mm. Black is the collection of all color. White is the absence. Mm. But white doesn't exist. It's invisible. It's like zero. It doesn't exist. You see, it's the collection. The blackness is the collection, the darkness. The reason why we're afraid of the dark is because a lot of crime happens in the dark. Yeah. 
You know, the reason why we're afraid of darkness is because we've been taught that we're dark. Mm -hmm. The reason why dark is afraid is because dark has been symbolized to be the unknown. Mm -hmm. But the unknown is a beautiful place because yeah. it's in the unknown that you start to know. It's where we, you, you know, a lot of crimes happen in the dark, but also we put our most valuable things in the dark when we don't want something to happen to it. That's put our right. jewels in the dark. That's we don't want nobody to know about it. <laughs> Right. Okay. We try to place things in the unknown. So you do things in the dark. The darkness is this dimension. It's like a, the secret dimension is where we hide our secrets. Right. The things that are done in the dark. When you tell somebody is brought to the light. Mm -hmm. So it's literally the darkness is this place where you can put things to store things of value. Yes. Right. And, and we, once we bring things to the light, everybody can use them. Everybody can see them. And that's why it's dangerous, because if you can keep certain things in the dark, right, you can hide them from people. And as long as you know about them and only you have them, it's okay. It's like value of gold would, you know, be decimated if they just found another hundred trillion in the ground. They got to keep it in the dark, right? Now, that person that has it in the dark, they can go and mine and grab them a couple of tons out, you know, every century or so. But if they let everybody else know and it gets brought to the light, it destroys the value of it. Absolutely. Right? And so this world does the same thing with knowledge, right? They do the same thing with understanding. We can't bring this to light. It will destroy the value of what I have that no one else does, mm -hmm. right? We have to rob you of it, right? Then we got to throw it in the vault, right? And so human beings are on this conquest, but unfortunately human beings are going through mental exhaustion, because as I've talked about before we was on camera, it's like you walk into a room and there's 10 million books and now you don't know where to start. You can grab a book randomly, right? That's the internet. You're picking up pieces. You got, oh, I got AI. I got access to all the world's information. What you going to do with it? You need a vision. You need direction. You need purpose. You need function for every single thing that you do in order for this to be of any value to you. But if you don't have any of that, then this has no value. Right. And so instead, the curation is more important. I don't need 10 million books. I can't read 10 million at a time. Give me 10. Uh, now you've given me a point to start. That's it. Right. And now that I'm starting, I am in motion. I'm being enlightened. Now I can go step by step. If somebody laid out, you know, every step that you needed to take between your first step as a child to your last step when you die, it would be too much. I don't need all of that. I only need to know now and next like a baby, right? Because as long as I'm living in now and next, I am gradually going to those steps, right, of destiny. Whatever my life will be, it will be, but I will work to make it the best, right? And so I think to me that's a, it's a mindset, right? It's a, it's a mentality of not believing you need more than what you need to get started with what you have. That is Right. You know, in terms of the story that you tell about all those books. Yes, sir. This is what Dr. Clark told me. Dr. Clark once said to me, let's say you learn how to read at eight years old. Very certainly. And let's say you die when you're 88. Okay. Let's say you start reading at the age of eight. You read three books a week. Mm -hmm. That's good. Right. Reading three books a week. Absolutely. Is very good. And for 80 years. So how many books do you read a year? Okay, so if you multiply 3 times 52, you know, you get 156. You multiply that by 80, 
and you get 12,480 books. Mm. Now, for a, pro for a proficient reader to read three books a week all of his or her life for 80 years, you only end up with 12,480 books, considering all those 10 million books that you read. That's not a lot of books at all. Right. So Dr. Clark said, it's not how many books you read. It's your choices of books that you read. Mm. And I've always felt as an educator, that's why in my, in my study guide, in my book list, I have a list of all the books. See, I've done that, that work for you. I've, I've helped the reader that's seeking this knowledge to cut down on the books. Dr. Clark also said every book wasn't meant to be read cover to cover. Right. Okay, because we get caught up in book clubs, which I respect. If we can do that, that's fine. I believe in theme clubs. Mm. So that I might, for instance, Stolen Legacy, as it relates to Shabakistan, mm -hmm. my third book that I wrote on astronomy, African astronomy. What I recommend, somebody say, look, man, like, where do I start? Like when you said, where do I start? How can I start understanding Shabakistan? I tell them, okay, the first book to read Go get Stolen Legacy, read chapter 8, page 139 to 151. After you do that, then go to a book called Egypt Revisited and read the chapter written by Jacques Sabibsi on the importance of Dr. Theophilio Benga's work. Then, same book, Egypt Revisited, read the next chapter by Theophilio Benga on Shabakistan. And then after that, get Civilizational Barbarism by Sheikh Hunter Jok and read chapter 17. Does an African philosophy exist? Yes, sir. So I'm not asking you to read that whole book on civilizational right. barbarism. I'm not asking you to read the whole book on Stolen Legacy or Egypt Revisited. For the particular theme that I'm saying, I'm saying Shabaka Stone to understand it from a fundamental perspective and then fill out the information. Those three books, but four chapters, is what you want to do. Mm. Themes. That, you know, that's profound because you, you, what you said is the way I practice. Right. I don't I think I've only read one book cover to cover and it was a storybook. Mm. That was the last storybook I ever read. <laughs> uh, that was when I was I think I was 18 or 19 years old. And it was a picture book. And I tell this story a lot because after reading that book, I was locked up when I read it. But it had nothing to do with my freedom. Right. And after that, my brother gave me some books to actually read that I could that could help assist me with the case that we were going through in trial. And I read those books and they empowered me. And that was information that I can use strategically for us to be able to beat the case that we was actually dealing with in that trial. And so every since then, when I open books, I'm looking for certain keys in that book, mm -hmm. right? I'm not, I don't want to read the whole book because a lot of this stuff is fluff, mm -hmm. right? You, you need all of this in here because Arthur ain't going to write a book with three pages and say, this was the main point. I want you to get this. No, he has to build it up. Right. And then you have different levels of people that is reading the book. So you have to add context, story, all of these different things that we're taught. But when I read a book, I scan for things. I scan for that specific thing that I'm looking for in a book. I go through the chapters. Mm, what is it that I want to learn from this? Right. What am I trying to do with this book? Oh, it's on marketing. Oh, if I learn this psychology about this neuroscience, then I can implement that in my straight. I'm going straight to that chapter. Then I may, if it's really good, I might see it with something else in other chapters. But then I quickly know, nope, now I'm going to the next book. So if, out of all the books that I've read, I've never read a book cover to cover. I don't need to hear your introduction. Mm -hmm. 
right? Respect for people writing it, the thanks that you give to people, all of the stuff. No, I need to meet. You understand me? Because that's the key that I can use to unlock. So if I'm in a room of the 10 million books, as you say, or you are on the internet, which is the 10 million books, right? Now you can make decisions based on your necessities, right? So another thing, what you said about choices, the high, I, I, I say the highest level of freedom is choice, right? Because when you can choose what you want to do and why you want to do it, you're completely free, mm -hmm. right? When you don't have choice, you're not free. Right. But thinking about that idea of the intelligent ability to make good decisions. Right. And protecting your ability to make good decisions. So when you are mentally exhausted, you get decision fatigue. You can't make good decisions. When you take too long to make a decision, you're using your thinking power. Right. So by the time you make a decision, you're making a bad one. Or you don't make one at all. And so it's about the 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 selection of choices and our ability to make a good decision that is in alignment with who we are and for the reason we're going in there, right? But if you don't know your problem, you may not know what you're solving. You just in here walking around. If your car has an issue and you have to solve it yourself and there's a book in here on mechanics, that's what I need to find. I need to learn how to figure out this issue. If there's an issue that I may lack discipline, I may need to learn a book on discipline. Who was the foremost scholar? Who developed some strategies? I'm about to read that book, right? If I want to know about myself and my history, and I'm, I'm on this discovery of who I am, let me go study some history by the good brother Kaaba. I need to learn, what's the Shabaka stone? How can I utilize that to internalize the process of understanding myself, right? If I want knowledge of self as a black man, where's the Honorable Elijah Muhammad books? I need to read one of those books real quick. That's going to charge me up. But people are trying to make decisions without purpose so they don't have a reason, right? And without reason, there's no rationality. So you're not moving like God because God is mathematics. God has geometry and everything that he does. So he has reason to everything that he do, right? So how can you believe in God and be a disciple of God if you don't act in the same discipline in the way that he creates? So to be a believer in God, then you should act and move in the, in the way that you know God does. And he left clues in all existence, in the spiral of your head to the spiral of the universe and the geometry of flowers, right? And the way that life produces, he left clues. This is how I operate. If you want to live a successful life, operate like me. In math, it's called fractals. Mm. Fractals is the repetition of the natural creative force in nature. Yes, sir. When you cut a tomato, you look inside what a tomato looks like. Yes, sir. When you look at a snail, a snail looks like a, a galaxy. Yes, sir. A spiral galaxy. But it also looks like the inside of your ear is called the vestibular cochlea. Mm. It looks the same exact way, along with the animal itself. Yes, sir. If we want to call it an animal. Uh, but it's all patterned the same way. It's called the pattern in the tabernacle. Yes, sir. Brother, this is so straight. And you see, it's not hard. Nature is right in front of us. Nature yes, was our first teacher. And this is why, if I may call it, telepathy becomes so important. Mm. Because the dialogue between nature and the first human beings wasn't spoken. Yes, sir. It was heard. Mm. It was interpreted. Mm. 
the Tuatimbuti people when they were agriculturalists. They looked down on the ground and saw the seed planted in the earth, brought forward a plant or a fruit. They saw that when that plant grew or that fruit grew, it was born. You see, when they planted the seed, it was conceived. When it grew and came out, it was born. When it lived, it grew. Then it aged. Then it died. Then it decayed. Then it came back. Mm. That's how the human being first found out about spirituality. Mm. It was botanical information that made that happen. It was nature that taught them that. The seed planted was like a man planting his seed in a woman. The woman, the 10-month gestation, the baby's born. The baby grows, it ages, it dies, it decays, and then the resurrection of the soul. When you talked about blood and the soul, it's interesting. When I was teaching fifth grade one time, a student of mine was um, Jehovah Witness, and Jehovah Witness could not celebrate. You know, if we had a birthday party, the child could not be part of it. Uh, when we had Chris Christmas or Kwanzaa parties, child couldn't participate because they don't believe in celebrations. Interesting conversation happened between myself, the class, and this young lady when she was explaining because people didn't understand, you can't come to the party. What's up with you, you know? So she was explaining she was Jehovah Witness. And she told a story about why Jehovah's Witness will not get blood transfusions. Mm. And she said, the reason why we don't get blood transfusions is because we believe that the soul dwells in the blood. Mm. And if you get a blood transfusion, someone else's soul is coming into you. Well, that's a fact. But that's the truth. That is the truth. Scientifically, that is the truth. Now, whether or not you want that person's soul is your decision. But that's why they forbid. They would rather have someone die than have a blood transfusion. That's why societies, when people talk about court societies and the drinking of blood and their ritualistic practices. And whether people don't know about it, everybody believes it's true. Because, you know, today, if you ask that person, hey, this person is a sadistic psycho and we're going to use them for your blood transfusion. Man, person's like, I will wait. <laughs> I'm cool. What is it that you believe is in the blood, right? We don't think about you know, our rejection towards things actually lets us know our beliefs, but sometimes we don't think about what we're rejecting and what we think and what that implies about our beliefs, mm -hmm. right? That you believe that there's something inside this blood, which is information. That's right. Right? The information of who that person is is inside this blood. Yes. And now you are going to connect that to you and who you are. And that person becomes a part of it. It becomes a part of you. And, and that is what sustains you. Yes. Okay. Now, the question is, of course, when you start to look at what you just said, Brother 19 Keys, which, which, which what you just said is carved on the pyramid text mm. in the pyramid of Unas. Mm. And in my book, Spirituality Before Religion, I do an entire explanation of what you're actually saying, because this is where the Roman Catholics got their mass mm. of the eating of the body and drinking of the blood mm. of their Savior. This is where they got it. bottom, man. Okay. Now, on the walls... Unas, Neset Viti, a pharaoh, okay, he has died, and he wants to go to heaven. He wants to go to Amenta, Amen, hidden, ta, land, Amenta. 
And so in utterance, because they didn't call them scripture, they call them utterances because it's spoken, okay? The utterances of the creator within is speaking, and it says in, in these utterances, there's two utterances, 278 and 279. It speaks of Unas transforming himself into a bull, okay? And in this bull, he eats the body and drinks the blood of the gods or the Netaru. Mm -hmm. But that's not literal. That's figurative. Mm. Because you are what you eat. Right. So that the, 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 the metaphor for what was going on amongst our ancestors was not meant to be taken literal. Mm -hmm. It was what the Last Supper in Christianity became is on those walls. That's where they got it from. The idea that when you ingest divine, you become divine. Mm. So that when you ingest the good life, when you ingest honor, integrity, truth, justice, order, arrangement, morality, when you ingest it in life, you become the creator having right. a human experience. And in that experience, when you then die, since you have done that, you now have the right to go to heaven and to sit at the right hand of a sar. Mm. Chapter 43 of the book of the coming forth today by night. I am the great one, son of the great one. I am fire, the son of fire, to whom was given his, his head after it had been cut off. The head of a saw was not taken from him. Let not the head of a saw our knee be carried from him. I've knit my bones together. I've made myself whole and sound. I've become one again. I am a saw, the Lord of eternity. Remember back then when you were talking about remembering? That's what this was. When you were saying that, I was thinking about that. I said, somewhere in this conversation, I'm going to have to do this. Chapter 43, 4 and 3 add 7. I'll leave that where it is for now. But the idea of this, this prayer is that it's a Pan-African prayer. It's a prayer for us as a people to come together. There's no way I can unite with another person if I have not united with myself. Yes, sir. You got to know yourself. And so this prayer is saying that the head of a sar uh, was not taken from. A sar means the living person. Right. Let not the head of a sar ani be taken from him. A sar ani, when ani, A-N-I, is attached to the name, that is the divine person that has already been deceased. He's the one that has gone on. She is the one that has passed away. So what it's saying is that if in life you, your head wasn't taken from you, your consciousness, what you did, all the things, your memories, if, that, if your head wasn't taken from you in life, then you inherit the heavens. Don't take it from me after I die. So it's a petition to the cosmos. Allow me to come into your realm because when I was in this realm, I lived the right life. Now, there's something I'd like to ask you, brother. I, I, I know this is about you asking me, but I want to ask you. It's a conversation. Okay, man, I want to ask you a question. I talked about the number seven, so you know that numbers are important to me. Yes, sir. A couple conversations before, you mentioned the word key three times. Yes, sir. Why are you 19 keys? <laughs> uh, 19 keys is my journey. I tell people I'm not 19 keys. I represent 19 keys. Everybody is a key, but I choose 19 keys. The first journey, of course, comes from the quote of Masfuad Muhammad. So that was the birth. And he said there's 17 million original people. There's 2 million Indians. That represents the 19 million rusty locks. Those 19 million rusty locks have 19 million well-oiled keys to unlocking those rusty lock mines. Keys is an interchangeable word for chi, for knowledge, for enlightenment, energy. 
right, to unlock the bondage of the body and the mind so that a person can unlock themselves so they can never be oppressed again. It's one we remember. Then the growth of that goes more into mathematical, esoteric, occult study of the number 19 and what it represents, right? As I studied the 19, I came to so many different realizations. As I studied the number throughout history, things that would have been meaningless became synchronistic and it led me to higher levels of understanding. It led me to concepts that I've taught that led me different places. So it became a number that takes me on this journey of becoming because that one and that nine also represents birth happening. When that one is next to that nine, as the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan was given a breakdown, it represents that nine being pregnant, right? And uncovering the things, right? Bringing things to light. And so this journey of being and uh, representing that 19 keys is a journey of representing all knowledge, all the ones. So I always tell, I'm not the one. Everybody want to be the one. I want to be, I'm one of the ones, right? That's like saying, I'm the star. You one of the stars. There's no the star. They're stars. They're galaxies. They're Milky Ways. They're, from what we know, infinite amount of stars. How could you want to be the star? So the journey of 19 keys is a journey that I believe represents a destiny, right? Something larger than myself that I'm learning to become and understand. But these numbers, this mathematical intuition, right, is aligned with the customization of myself. When I do the details of my DNA, my parents, synchronistic dates within my life and my timeline, it all leads to the number 19 being synchronistic. So there was a higher order beyond self that led me to an intuitive understanding and connection to it, right? Because the switch of saying I'm 19 keys and putting on a crown was not my own doing. It was me following orders. You know, when you say customization, what do you mean? When I talk about the customization of self, I believe that society exists with generalizations. These generalizations means that every man is judged by the same scale, regardless of how different in degree each man is. When we go to school, this child that is naturally prone to have a good memory could get an A because the details of the assignment is based on memorization and or recognition. So that may be his intelligence type, right? The class setting can be set up in a manner that is directly customized towards certain intelligence types. But both of those students are graded on the same generalized scale, right? So that doesn't make that child smarter. It means that the environment is customized to his type of intelligence. It means that, and we talked about uh, monogamy and relationships and polygamy, one man customizations could be towards the way he sees relationships, he only falls in love once, right? He takes possession of things and he only wants to be with one woman. And there may be another man who falls in love twice or three times. So if that man gets judged by the same scale, it's unequal, right? Because that man doesn't have to do any work because society is already customized, right, to 
his natural skills, talents, predilections, right? Character types and traits. While this other man says that in order for me to fit in that, I have to do more work. So you don't know to give that man more credit and not realize that he's fitting into a box that doesn't come natural to him. So what I teach people is learn the customization of self. Learn who you are, right? Learn what is your spiritual type? What is your intelligence type? People ask questions about astrology. People know about star types, right? But they don't study their intelligence type, right? We know about Myers-Briggs types and personalities types and whether you are INTJ or introverted or extroverted. And people get mad at you. Oh, I can't be in front of the camera. You're not even that type, <laughs> right? That's That person can shine because that's who they is. It's not that they're better than you. That's their customization. Each one of us have unseen parts of ourselves. And so that's why I talk about those senses because when we judge ourselves based on what we can see, right, what we can hear, taste, touch, smell, we're not looking at the unseen parts and understanding the essence of who you are, which makes you who you are. And so you could be trying to fit, you know, a five-sided star into a square. It don't fit in there. That's not the way it's made, right? You're trying to fit this, your geometrical, mathematical properties that make you who you are inside of something that wasn't made for who you are. And that's how it is to be black man in America, right? We're trying to fit into a side another man's, right, creation. This is his customization because it fits him well. This is his white patriarchal standard in his world. This is the way he decided to create buildings. This is the way he decided to create school curriculums. This is the way he decided to create cars and colors, right, and shapes. It's not what I decided. So you know how hard it is for me to fit inside of this when it wasn't made for me to fit inside of this? There's going to be always a part of me that stands out, always a part of me that is in rebellion. Because you go to... You're going to take a child and tell them to do something that doesn't fit who they are. They're going to naturally rebel. It is nothing wrong with that child. But that child has an innate sense, a pure sense of self, right? No, I don't like that. You can try to force that child to like something they don't like all day long. I don't like it. I don't want that. Nope, I don't like the way it tastes. I don't like that color. And you hear you trying to use all your intelligence to describe to them why they should like it. Because of something that you want to fit on them, Right? We're not your children. That's the message to the world. We're not your children, and it's killing us because we're not your children, right? But they've made us their Frankenstein, or their Frankenstein does. They made us into a monster, right? They, they customize us to their liking, to their religion, to their world, to their way of things, and it's killing us mentally every single day. I see brilliant black men dying while they're alive because they can't fit into this world. And this world doesn't allow them to be who they are, right? So being pure within yourself is destructive in a world that wasn't made for your purity. Speaking truth, you talk about there's a child being pure and an elder being pure because you go through a purification as an elder where you don't care no more. You understand? You're going to tell the person the truth, right? You're going to ask the child, did this, this look fat on me? Like, what? yes. <laughs> ask the elder, did this look fat on me? You didn't stop eating. Yes, it looks big on you. It's two sizes too big or too small, rather, right? Because as a child, you don't know the lie. You don't have a reason to. I'm just going to give you the pure truth. You learn to fit in, right? You learn to change. So you go against yourself. And then as, as you get closer towards death, you're like, let's just say what I say. I don't care. 
So you go back to purity. So that's that birth, right? You go through that growth. Then as an adult, you go through that decline. You start to lose self. And then in your elder years, into that cycle, you go through that renewal. Man, I'm back. I don't care no more. <laughs> like I was when I was a child. I don't care at all. Yeah. Yes, you are fat. You are very fat. <laughs> and don't ask me the question again. They don't ask me. Ask me no questions. I tell you no lies. <laughs> Inshallah, my God. People focus a lot on nutrition body-wise. You know, I'm going to feed this particular system of the body. I'm going to feed that system. Very rarely do people speak about the mind. Very rarely do people speak about the brain. The brain needs the most energy, right? The brain is uh, needed to process. The brain is needed to, you know, compartmentalize. The brain is needed for so many things, you know, but we don't know what brain food looks like, you know? We know that the body's electrical, and what I understand about gold is not only is it superconductive, but it's non-corrosive and it's a noble element. So they say that if I am what I eat, I want to be noble. You know what I'm saying? I want to be of the highest degree. And I also want to focus on mental health. I want to focus on gut health. I want to focus on energy. I want to focus on youth. I want to focus on, uh, you know, accessing uh, pineal activity, hormonal balance, everything the goal represents is what I want to see more of. So what better thing to do but align myself with this particular product and get it out to as many people as I can by singing the praise of gold, which is something that our people have been doing for over 10,000 years. You said something very powerful. When we're talking about you call them the creator gods. I call them the birth gods, right? That are women. And there's more women than men. And it makes sense because in your scholarship, as you was breaking down, you say it has to be more birth gods, right? Than what well, I, I say source gods because we give the sperm. But one man can get three women pregnant, right? That like Nick Cannon is a good example of it. Everybody laughs at Nick Cannon, but Nick Cannon shows the world how the world works, how men and women work. It's one Nick Cannon, and he can get 19 of them pregnant at a time, right? And so you broke down, I'm going to let you do it. Why are there more women than men? Through nature. Women have two X chromosomes. Men have one X and one Y chromosome. So by nature said that it is very important to keep the world populated. That's part of the purpose. So that there are three X chromosome and one Y. Mm -hmm. So by nature, there should be three women for every one man. Science. And we talked about polygamy and polyandry, mm -hmm. okay? And I know that we're into what they call a monogamous society mm -hmm. where one man, one woman. But if, in fact, there are more women than men, let's play musical chairs. <laughs> so they kind of stand up. Where there's one chair and there's three players. When the music stops, only one person going to get that chair. Yes, sir which means that there are two players that will never fulfill 
winning the game. Mm. Players is out of luck. Now, I know that we're into the emotion of this. I'm talking about the science of it. I want to get yes, from the emotion of yes, it. Yes, sir. Because I know that we're dealing in a society that is a very jealous, envious God. Remember where the psychology came from. Mitch, I need you to put a black screen on there and give them five seconds to get out their emotions and then cut back to it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, because we have to do this. This is a get out your emotions moment. Get to the science. Because I, I'm, I'm only trying to express from an African perspective, it is very important for us also to understand that polygamy is not a man's thing. Mm. It's not about men choosing the women that he wants. Mm. And, and as he matures, he wants to get a younger girl or a younger woman mm. into the house. Mm. That's not what polygamy is. Okay, break it down. Polygamy is a natural functioning society that realizes that it is the, it is the woman that brings the house together of other women. And then they invite the man in to be that masculine. If you have a society where there are three men, uh, three women and one man, then you, it would be advantageous to have three women in a house with one man. Mm. And it becomes important because the reality is, is that there come a time in your life where the woman don't want the man around anyway. So, you know, mm. what, you go find somebody else. But that's a whole nother story altogether. Yeah. <laughs> because you get yeah. on nerves now. Yeah. But the reality of it is, getting back to the seriousness of it, the reality is, is that there was not a jealous and envious God when you look at nature, there, there, there is no husband and wife ram or you, the, the woman. There is no husband and wife animal. The purpose of the man is to impregnate the female, to have a child so that it can continue, be it a lion and a lioness, uh, be it an elephant or a fish. The idea is that you have to respond to your nature. And in nature, men and women have needs and desires. It is important for us to stand, understand the difference between sensuality and sexuality. Because mm. we're too caught up in sexuality. Mm, come on, give us a break there. You know, we're talking about sensuality. Yes, sir. We're talking about what is pleasing or unpleasing to the eye, to the nose, to the tongue, to the ear. Yes, sir. You know? To the touch. Yes, sir. You know, don't touch me. You know, but some people you want to touch. Mm. And they want you to touch them. Mm. You see? And then to think. Okay? So the senses are there. And that sensuality is a need that all humans are born with. And you can't fight it. Yeah. So if you're playing musical chairs and you want to win, but you don't end up sitting in that chair, you're going to go unfulfilled. Mm. And in the African society, they saw the need to, to, to meet all the needs of the people themselves. And so in a society that maybe there were more women than men, men took on more wives. In a society where there were more men than women, women took on more husbands. In fact, if you really want to know, polyandry existed before polygamy. Mm. In order to understand naturally that you have to make sure that you had birth coming in. There was no jealousy. There was no envy. It was about the nation rising. And so when understand deep. this from a natural perspective. It's not a man's thing. It's a woman's thing. See, we walk around thinking that men have all these wives and they're doing this and they're choosing. No, that's not how it works. 
It's the woman that creates the house and invites the man in to be that essence of the balance of that house when you have three women to one man as you have three X chromosome to one Y chromosome. And see, that makes sense because a lot of people, a lot of people will say, isn't that a lot of responsibility taking on more than one woman? Well, you a hell of a man. That's what I'm saying. So like, even in that, like when I went to Swaziland and um, South Africa and I visited, um, you know, the Zulu tribe and the brothers giving a breakdown because he was on his third wife. Right. But in order for him to do that, they all get their own houses, number one, which means that he has to be a man of reason. So he has to earn this. Right. Um, because in the house that he was getting his wife from, they had a lot of daughters. Right. And so at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, what he was doing is, of course, he has to give a gift to the family. He has to be able to provide her own home before he can take on another wife. Right? And so when you kind of think about that, you know, it would make more sense for polygamy to be a woman's thing to where it's like if you're in a group and there's 10 women and there's one guy and this guy, well, hey, I got mine, you know, then other women like, what do we got? You know, like, I won't be with somebody. So they say, hey, hey we got to do the math here. It's only one person we got to share, right? Because, you know, they want protection. They want provision, right? They want leadership. They want... They want comfort and sensuality and all those other things as well. And so the mixed bag of reality is only viewing things from the lens of patriarchy, right? We don't view the decisions that women made throughout history. We context everything as if it was all constructs that came from us, that these constructs weren't created side by side, that some of these things that are traditions that we hold today came from the matriarchal line of thinking. These were their ideas, and we decided to go along with it. And we don't know what 
things that today a person will be destroying thinking that it was a man that came up with it, but it was rooted in matriarchal thinking. Absolutely. And look at what we do when we get married. What is it called? Mm. Matrimony. Matrimony. Holy matrimony. It's not called patrimony. Holy matrimony. Okay. This, it, everything is right in front of us. Yeah. Everything is there in front of us to see. Mm. Even astronomy. Mm. Ast, the feminine principle. Right. Ra, light, heat, and sound energy. Right. Okay, know me is to know. Yeah. So when you study astronomy, you are studying the feminine principle in light, heat, and sound energy that brings life. Because mm. even a wedding is all for the woman. Mm-hmm. That don't man want no wedding. You know what I'm saying? She got this, just think about the weddings today. She got this $20,000 dress on, got this damn 40, 50, 100,000. Some people put $800,000 on a ring, right? You got to spend life savings, right? It, the, the father got to give money out. This is it's the thing that the brother is going through. This is financial hindrance. Everybody, he get a regular tux. <laughs> and he going to jump off of a bro, right? And he got to share all his resources for the rest of life. So it actually, when you think about it, you know that wasn't the man that came up with that. That don't make sense that that was a man's idea. It was nature's idea. It it was a thing. Because I paid for two. Mm. So I know what you said. <laughs> Okay, yes. Huh. I'm living the life. Okay. So I know what you're saying. Along with college and loans and things. Okay, so so I know what this is. Yes, sir. And and I did it in the understanding of the African tradition that the the coming together of creating a dynasty, you see. Our society that we have to create, this is why we gotta talk to our brothers and sisters as we're developing this conceptual framework to understand that what we need to build, the society we need to build is not going to be built on baby daddies. Mm. Okay? It's not going to be built on that. People build nations. Families build dynasties. Mm -hmm. Nations rise and fall. Dynasties last forever. Mm. When you hand down, see, rich is when you individually are rich. Wealth is when your family's rich. Mm. And, you, and we as men and women have to understand this, but we as men have to have a conversation as to what we need to do to understand that that when we were talking to our sisters, mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you the Kush Kemet word for it. Yes, sir. We call them Hemet Neset Warat. H-E-M-E-T, N-E-S-E-T, W-A-R-E-T, Hemet Neset Waret. When you break that metaphor down, it represents the deep well of water that I return to when I'm parched by the desert. Mm. Now look at the metaphor. Think of what our women were to us. I don't know if people have ever been parched by the desert before. We've been thirsty. I'm not talking about thirsty. Yeah, there's a lot of people that's thirsty. I'm talking about parched. Okay, parched. Parched is when dust be jumping out your mind. <laughs> yeah. When you're talking. That's yeah. And when you're parched by the desert, because I've been in the desert, mm. there's only one thing on your mind. There's only one thing that will satisfy. Right. That's water. That's the waters. But hold on. That sister's not just water. Mm. She a well of water. Mm. But hold on. Mm. She a deep well of water. Mm. Long before they were our bitches and our holes, mm. our thoughts, they were hemet neset waret, and they sat beside us. 
not in front of us, not above us, not below us. Our Hemet Neset Waret sat beside us. Right. That's balance. That is Ma'at. And so as we're dealing with these concepts of polyandry and polygamy, we may tell jokes, we, we may say funny things, but when you look at nature family, it was to satisfy and meet the needs and solve the problems of the community. And therefore they could be great thinkers and they could raise nations and they could raise dynasties as families to make it possible, to make it possible for future generations to build the pyramids. See, that, that first of all, that was profound. I was listening, I was reading a book by Huey P. Newton. And it's called Revolutionary Suicide. Mm. Beautiful book, great title, and the concept is immaculate. Because to him, revolutionary suicide was his balance to the idea of reactionary suicide. So he gave the example of reactionary suicide is what happens. Like, look at the suicide rate of black men to reaction to the system, the reaction to poverty, right? The reaction to oppression, right? The reaction to injustice. Revolutionary suicide happens in the rebellion to the system, right? On the fight and the flight towards freedom, where a reactionary suicidal person will get kicked out with a broom no dignity, laughed away, the revolutionary suicidal person has to be forced out with force and power because they have more dignity, they stand up, they're upright. And he was explaining that that person is not the fact that they're suicidal, but they understand that death comes with the rebellion, right? And so it's something that they come in terms with. But then he goes on to say that all the people that look at it and say, being revolutionary or so-called pro-black, as they say it now, or speaking the truth. If you think that is suicidal, then you also think that it's been suicidal for the Jews and the Vietnams and the Asians and every other people who's fought for their freedom in rebellion and in revolution towards whatever oppressive system or uh, a force that they were going against. You also think that they were, but look where they are, right? And so... He was also given a breakdown about family. And he said that he has some Southern roots. And in that, he remember observing a ritual. And in that ritual of family demonstration, he said they would, the older sibling would take the newborn, right? Or the child. And they would give them their first walk out into the world. So you have to imagine there was a doula in the house. They were born. And he was saying that they do this in ritual so that the younger child knows the responsibility that they have, right? Within the family, this is their role. You take them out into the world. This is your first walk. You're going to have to walk with them and help them. Because if you think about it, the idea of the child is going to outlive the parents anyway. So you now take on significant parental roles, right? As a child, right? Automatically. And I was thinking about that in contrast. Wow. In the South, they had a lot to this day, you know, they are more remnants of how we are, you know, and how we were and our ancestors were. You have Southern hospitality, right? And you get to the East Coast and the West Coast, we're in the city environments and we've been stripped of all of our cultural rights, right? 
And so we don't have the knowledge and the habits of family. We focus so much on process, but not outcome. Well, we focus on outcome and not process, rather. And when you focus on the habits, it changes the whole game. See, I could want to be a millionaire. I could want to be a bodybuilder, right? Um, I won't be anything, but if I don't take on the habits of a bodybuilder, which is going to the gym every day, he gonna need the protein shakes, you know, he gonna know how to recover, he will have to understand and have knowledge of muscle, all those different, I gotta take on his habits, so I gotta now act in that discipline, and even if I don't want to become one, if I take on those same habits, that's what I become, that's the outcome, it's the cause and effect of reality, if I do the same thing with wanting to be wealthy and I take on the habits of the wealthy man. I'm around him. I see how he does his finances, how his taxes, how he does his trust, how he does business, branding, marketing, sales management, right? How he sets up his whole system. If I take on those habits that he has, that's what I'm forced to get. So we want unity, but we don't have the habits of unity because we focus on the outcome, but we don't have the habits of the process, right? And so we have to be a people that get back to the focus of the process. That's it. Right? What is the process of family? That's what is the rituals of family? Right? What is the rights of being a man? You want to be a man? What's the habits of a man? Yeah. Right? Develop the habits of a man, and that's what you become. Develop the habits of a good man. Develop the habits of a good woman, that's what you become. So when you check yourself and you say, what are my habits? The culmination of your habits make you who you are. And if you want to make a change in the pattern of who you are, change the habits of what you do. Yeah. And I, I did a, a program with high school students, freshmen. High yes, sir. And it was called, Are You a Man or Just a Male? Mm. And it was a 17-week program. I, I did it for a number of years with, and, and, and it was only with brothers and young brothers, high school, freshmen. And it was 17, it, it was divided to be 17 weeks. And I did the first three to, to lay out the concept. But what we did is we brainstormed uh, 17 different subjects that they'd like to talk about. Not me. This was, what do you want to talk about? Grades, going to school, after-school program, gangs. I call them street organizations. Uh, sex, you know, dating, you know, girl, women, girls, you know, 17 areas. And what we did is we... I, I did the first three, and then every one of them did the others on down the line. And basically what it was, it was exploring the difference between a man and a male. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I felt was very important to help them understand, because this was um, African, African-American students, Spanish-speaking as well as English-speaking. And what I wanted to stress to them was to understand that we as a people brought here were stripped of our family knowledge and wisdom. And from a child, we were never taught what it was to be a father because if we acted as a father on a plantation, we'd have more power over the children than the one in the big house. That's a fact. So we could not assume the role of a father, okay? That was stripped of us. We were stripped of the role of being a husband because if my wife loved me, she would not love uh, Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Okay, because she would love me. She'd rather have me. And one of the most, one of a powerful uh, uh, scene that I've seen uh, was in Birth of a Nation, the second one, where that young sister was brought up to the big house to please one of the 
European visitors. And the boyfriend or the husband or however he perceived himself of that black woman was underneath the window, looking up, knowing what was going on to that woman he loved. Think about that power. And after the deed was done, she came down and he was there and she collapsed in his arms. That's black love. For that man to say, honey, it don't make a difference what that man did to you. You're my temple. You're where I pray. And that woman said, no matter what that man did to me, brother, you're the man I want. That's black love. That's the symbol of the, of, of when we talk about the trauma and the celebration, for us to even be able to love each other today is a miracle. So when I talk about the things that we do and about baby daddies and about, that's all we were. I'm reading a book right now on titled The, De the Delectable Negro by Vincent Woodard. Mm. Read that book on the psychosexual homoerotic life that not just the women lived, but the men did too. So that I don't give excuses, but I recognize the reasons. Mm -hmm. We as black, I, I see more brothers now pushing baby carriages now, young. I've done presentations where I remember I did a presentation in Philadelphia and I saw 17 young people coming down somewhere between the ages of maybe there was one 18 that went up to 35. They were friends and family coming to check out the presentation in Philadelphia. There were husbands and wives and babies in carriages. I've been in presentations where a brother comes in with his son, some with carriages. We all remember the mm -hmm. time. But we also have to understand what is going to build a society, but we also have to understand what has happened to us as black men. The stripping of our manhood in front of the society and the understanding, even brothers and sisters that come from countries from Africa, from the Caribbean, Central South America, come to America and they view foundational black Americans. They judge us because they don't understand what has happened to us historically, and that's another reason why they try to take the history out the class. Because if, if, if Africans from Nigeria, Ghana, Burkina Faso were to understand what happened to us here, they understand colonialism, but they don't understand enslavement. The breaking of the African mind in colonialism is different from the breaking of the mind of the enslaved. And if you don't understand that, you come and you view us and you understand us from a perspective that has been given to you by someone that never wanted you to, to love us, to respect us, and to understand us. So what we have to do is, before they come to America, we need to have workshops in Nigeria as foundational black Americans telling them our history. Mm. Understand who we are. Don't be afraid of Harlem because they're going to put you on 116th Street anyway. They're going to put you in our neighborhood anyway for you to fear us and stay away from us. I'll give you another example. In the building where I lived, we have brothers and sisters that have come from the continent. When th this is when I was working, so I was on the elevator and I was coming downstairs. There was a young brother used to come, and I know he was from the continent. And I spoke to him, how you doing? You know, how's school coming along? We had a great conversation. 
and everything went along. He, you know, he liked the way I dressed. He liked some of the symbols I had. He would ask me what the ankh was and what, you know, I, I would explain to him. Uh, you, one time I had some Andinkra symbols. He said, oh, I remember that. I had Sankofa. Oh, I know what that is. I saw that when I was back home. Okay, good. One day he came on, but his father came on with him. And the father said, don't talk to him. I'm talking to his son. Okay. And the son sort of kind of, well, when the son came on, I knew something was wrong. But when he came on, um, I spoke. And he spoke back. And he said, don't talk to him. I would then go, again, okay, we stopped. Later on, the son would come on, the father wasn't there. He said, you know, my, my, my father don't like black Americans. And, he, and he's told me, stay away from black Americans. He said, they're no good. And, you know, the son, being young, willing to accept reality, was willing to embrace, like the way I dressed, like the way I spoke to him did not see the prejudices that the father had been given. Now, let me tell you, eventually, I got to the father, and I spoke to the father, and I explained to the father exactly what the history was and what this deal was. Eventually, the father warmed up to me, and he came to understand. So what I'm saying is that I, I know there's this big to-do between foundational black Americans and pan-Africans. Okay, I'm a foundational black American. My mother was born in Boston. My father was born in Alabama. Booker T. Colin, mm -hmm. I'm Julia, okay? But every part of my blood is Pan-African. Mm. I embrace African people wherever they are as my brothers and my sisters. But I'm also proud to be a foundational black American. You can be a proud foundational black American and also be a Pan-African. It is not anti-African. But I understand what happens to our people when they're there. Let me just add one more story to this. My wife is from Jamaica. And in 1981, we got married and we went home to Jamaica. It was the first time families meeting me. I had been introduced to Bob Marley uh, music in 1975, Nati Dread, okay? And Bob Marley just, I mean, he brought me to another level. Yeah. I was checking that music out. You know, uh, dem belly full, but we hungry. You know, ride, naughty, ride. But I also went back and I came upon a song called Trenchtown Rock. You know, the one good thing about music is when it, when it hit it, you feel no pain. Okay? I checked that out. I said, wow. Uh, 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 Kingston uh, uh, 20, I think it's called, or Kingston 18, something like that. Trenchtown. So when I went to Jamaica, the first thing I wanted to do was I want to go to Trenchtown. You know, they said to me, is there anything you'd like to do while you're in Jamaica? You know, would you like to go to the Arawak Museum? Yeah, I'd like to go. Would you like to visit uh, the monument of Marcus Garvey? Yeah, I would. Bob Marley had just joined the ancestors. Yeah, I definitely want to see anything Bob Marley I want to see. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 but I said, I want to go to Trenchtown. And nobody said, I'm going to Trenchtown. That's the Batman slam. Yeah. You don't want to go to Trenchtown. I said, no, I want to go to Trenchtown. Very few people would take me to Trenchtown. Now, they have helpers in Jamaica. I, here we call them maids. They have helpers. The helper lived in Trenchtown. So they asked the helper, you know, he said, you know, he wants to go to Trenchtown. Uh, can you take him? Yeah, sure. So my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, drove, and I was there, and our niece was there, Shari, my wife was there, and I was there. And we went 
and we were driving and then the car stopped and the, the sister got out and she went inside. She said, I'll be right back. And I was sitting in the car and I was waiting. It took a little while. And I said, um, she's, you know, she all right? Like, yeah, she's just changing clothes. And I said, but you told me she lived in Trenchtown. Mm-hmm. And they said, but this is Trenchtown. And I looked out and see, I grew up in a project mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And the only difference between the houses in Trenchtown and where I grew up was I grew up in a six-story project building yeah. and they have three stories. Mm. It's dirt, dirt road in Trenchtown. It's concrete in the Amsterdam houses where I grew up. Mm-hmm. I said, this is Trenchtown. So I got up out the car. I saw Rasta man. I go over to Rasta and I introduced myself to him. I tell him who I am. You know, I said, brother, you know, this is the first time I told about Bob Marley and Trenchtown Rock and he said, man, sit down. So I sat down next to him. We started talking. We had a great conversation. Mm-hmm. The point I'm making is that the image that we have of our people all around the world, they try to make us scared of us. No, no, don't associate with Rasta. Don't associate. Don't go to Trenchtown. Like they say, don't go to Harlem. Okay. You know, don't, don't go to parts of California where black folk are. Because if we ever knew how similar we are, we'd understand we only have one devil in the room. Mm. And that's why so many of us are afraid of each other. And when they come to America, they're afraid. Yeah. And when we go to their land, we're afraid to go to the black community. First thing I want to do everywhere I've been in the world, I want to go to the black neighborhood. Right. And, and, and that's because that goes to, I think identity is very important. Ethnicity is very important. Nationality is very important. Right. But there are things that transcend that. And it's the blood that flows through our veins. Right. It's the story of our collective membership being a part of the original tribe of this planet Earth. It transcends every label, every ideology, every religion you want to talk about. Right. Because that's who we were before all of that. Before we could speak a word or write a book, we were members of this God nation, his original people on the planet Earth, right? And we started differentiating ourselves by our experiences and our observations, right? And we started creating markers of individuality when we started expressing ourselves in different ways. And we started passing down those expressions and those expressions became codified as a class of people or a race of people or a tribe of people, right? And we lost that membership of connectivity that we had. And we're now living the effect of all of the causes that we've done throughout human history, right? And there's nothing wrong with having differences. There's nothing wrong with having your tribes. It actually is a good thing because it allows you to live life peacefully around people who are similar to you that shares the values and the cultural experiences and the way that you view and perceive the world. That's necessary. But it should not be utilized in a matter to differentiate yourself so that you can say that I'm better than the next person. We all come from the same source, right? My whole thing is finding that God tribe, finding those who are alike me. Right, so that we can connect and we can build together. 
It's not so that we go to war and destroy y'all for being different. No, that's what the devil does. A God gonna add value to you, right? We want to build in a world that I want to be in. If we study our history, we study it and we find connectivity to things in the past. And then we assume that identity without even knowing how that identity even came about, right? We don't know how that started. We don't know the stories and the roots of those. What were we were before that? And what we were before that and before that and before that. And how do you decide which one you identify with, right? It's just what you think and what you like, right? And so that can be based on your program. And it can be based on your geographical location, your parents, all of those things. So what supersedes all of that? That's our souls, right? Our souls don't have a nationality. Our souls don't have a, re a religion. They are pure sources, right, of, 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 of everything. It's just who we are. When we strip all of that down, you're a soul. Right. And so having soul movements, I think is key. Right. When we made music from the soul, that music became timeless and it moved people forever. When we had movements of the soul, that's when we was revolutionizing things. That's when we was making progress. So we have to get back to a soul movement. Right. When we're connecting on a soul level, you my soul brother, you know, they did in the seventy. Well, boy, smooth soul brother. Yeah. Right. That was to me. That was the greatest movement we had because it was based on love, mm -hmm. right? You know, and we wasn't tripping. I ain't worried about that, man. It's cool, mm -hmm. right? But now we at this point where everything is aggressive, right? Everything is is division, right? And so we see each other as enemies instead of see each other connected at a soul level, right? We don't have self-love, right? And you have to start from that place of self-love because I can't trust nobody that don't love themselves. Mm -hmm. Because you want for your brother what you want for yourself. That's the golden rule of all religions, at the basis where you strip away everything else on how you believe the planet formed, how you believe Jesus came, how you believe, you know, Tahuti, whatever story you want to come up and conjure, whether you believe you're from the Judah tribes, whatever it is, when we get back to it, you understand me, it's a golden rule. Treat people how you want to be treated. You understand me? So if you don't love yourself and you don't treat yourself correctly, I can't trust you. If you don't put your own people first, I can't trust you. Cause you ain't gonna put me, you did. So we gotta be at this place where we take back the habits and the rituals and the orders in a way that our ancestors perceive time, world, religion, movements. We, like you said, our ancestors are books. We don't need everything from, we gotta read the book from the beginning and the end. Just because we like one thing about a particular group of our ancestors don't mean we have to take on the complete holistic practice of everything that they've done. Because we get the ability of hindsight. They didn't have the ability of seeing what came uh, 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 after them. We are the afterlife, right? We're left behind to progress further. But if we don't see time as a collective time, right, then we don't see the importance of moving together, right? And so that to me is the thought process I want people to take from this, right? to gain strength from this knowledge, to gain wisdom from this knowledge, to gain brilliance and leadership and resilience from this knowledge, right? And then act with that purpose in mind and connect with the people around the world on the soul level. But you can't do that unless you soul search. You can't do that if you don't know yourself. You can't know nobody unless you know yourself and you can only know people as deep as you know yourself. So people who are lost and ignorant, they can never know you and you can never trust an ignorant man. He has not went to the depth in the darkness of his soul to where they can connect with the depth of the darkness of your soul. 
where things really matter, right? Where the unseen is, where the relationship is not defined by our qualities, characteristics, and traits based on society values, right? Where that person can give you everything materialistic and you still not love them because they can't give you a soul connection because they may not even have a soul anymore. That's it. It's interesting, Matt, uh, when you talk about different views and how to accept each other in difference and appreciating difference. Because when we're the same, it has its value, but there's no growth. Yes, sir. But if there's a difference, no matter what it may be, mental, physical, spiritual, soulful, there's growth because it makes me now come out of my sameness to look at your difference and then I grow. Yes, sir. Difference is a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's not to be, it's, it's not intimidating. It's complimentary. Mm. I like that. I like to be able to grow. I like difference. I like to be able to talk difference. Now, when you talk about difference, from when I first heard your name, 19 Keys, that's why I asked you, yes. your interpretation. Because it's interesting, my interpretation of 19 mm. Keys I would love to hear it. I see 19 as 1 plus 9 is, is 10. Yes, sir. But it represents a number 1. Yes, sir. 1. Mm -hmm. Keys, you mentioned ka, uh, 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 chi, and other words that are similar. I see ka. Mm -hmm. I see one ka. Ka is spirit. So when I see one spirit, that's the unification of us all. There is only one spirit. Your spirit and my spirit, same thing. That's what connects us. Mm. Your blood is your soul. That's what makes you 19 keys and makes me Kaaba. Mm. That is why they take the blood test of you to find out things about you because mm. your blood will tell them everything about you. Yes. So that's different. Your blood and my blood, while universally is the same, the difference in that blood texture makes you 19 keys and it makes me Kaaba Hiawatha. Mm. But the spirit is what unites us. And it is that spirit that is the creative force. So there's only one spirit. So what we have done today with your camera folk, with those on your staff, our spirits are united. But it's our souls that make us who we are. And that's the dynamics of this conversation. And everyone who is listening to our conversation, all of their souls are specific to them so when you talked about customizing, when you live and you customize, you're customizing your, your soul. You're becoming who you were born to be, your divine destiny. But it's that one spirit that unites you with everybody on the planet. And at this point, I'm going beyond culture. There's only one race on the planet. That's the human race. Mm. And that human race was conceived, born, nurtured, sustained, educated, technologized, advanced in Africa. Mm. If every human being backtracked their family, all of them would find themselves somewhere in Central South Africa. That's mm. where we all come from. Yes, sir. The word is autochthonous, which means you came from the soil. Mm. Nigerians did not come from Nigeria. Ghanaians did not come from uh, Ghana. Burkina Faso, um, Native American, Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, Indigenous Americans. They all came from Africa. Mm. 
and out of this should have been a celebration of differences. Mm. Instead, it is a horrific war experience because of those who knew not the Creator and did not know that each and every one of us is the Creator having a human experience. And just to kind of finalize this concept, this idea, although Ma'at has many principles and characteristics, my favorite one is reciprocity. Reciprocity says that you shall reap what you sow and will go around, come around. And if you should do something good, you will be rewarded sevenfold. And if you do something that's not good, you will be not rewarded sevenfold. If the people we're dealing with honestly believed in the creator they talk about, they'd be very careful how they treated their fellow human being. It's obviously that they not only don't know their creator, quite frankly, they're some, they got one foot in being a psychopath and the other being in a sociopath. Either way, they're very dangerous. And we got to teach our children that. Yes, sir. We, we have to raise our nations and our dynasties. As a kindergarten teacher, man, I could write a book on some of the children I had, four and five-year-olds, that told me, you look like my daddy. Can I call you daddy? I wish you were my daddy. And my response to them was, I am your daddy. Because in the African tradition, every adult male in the community is baba. And every adult female is a mama. I didn't bring you in biologically. But when you're in my presence and in my care, I am your father. That's what the Nigerians call me, Baba Keys. Okay, that is it. Everybody is that. And the respect that we give to each other. But you can't respect other people if you don't respect yourself. So I'd like to just give you the homework assignment, teacher. So I got to give homework. Yes, sir. Okay. Here's the homework. This is when I first met Dr. Clark. I was 12 and a half years old. They brought me up to Harlem. And at the end of his presentation, they brought all the young people. Well, we were in front of him. They introduced us to him. And um, we were introduced to him. And I was Booker T. He said, oh, Booker T., you're going to become a great teacher one day. I wouldn't think about being a teacher. But that was just something he said, which it's funny how things happen. But he gave us a homework assignment. And he said, I want you to go home, and I want you to go in the bathroom, and I want you to look in the mirror. This is what I want everybody to do. And when you look in the mirror, I want you to tell the person you're looking at, I love you. Because if you can't do that, then there's nothing anyone else can do for you. Mm -hmm. And I've, I, I, I thought about that throughout my life. You, you gotta love yourself. Malcolm said, who taught you to hate the texture of your hair, the, the width of your nose, the size of your lips, the color of your skin? No, you didn't learn that in Africa. Who taught you that? And we wake up in the morning and we look in the mirror and we say, we, we don't love ourselves." You know, little girl come tell me, is it Brother Booker T? This was years ago, but Brother Booker T, my nose is too big. And I said, well, honey, can you breathe? And she said, yeah. I said, well, your nose is just the right size. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you could tell me that your nose, you know, you couldn't breathe because yeah. then I'd say, okay, we, you know, we need to think about right. that. But if you can breathe, that's your function of your nose. They've taught us to hate ourselves. And so when we look in the mirror, we don't like what we see. They come with all these diets and all this stuff to make us a certain way. There's something about the endomorph, an ectomorph, and a mesomorph. Mm. And when, you when, when, when your physical skin contains melanin, 
many times it is an elasticity that creates within the human a thickness. Okay? And so when they give you these little rail bony looking women to be beautiful and they have who, who, who by the way are, are ectomorphs outside their skin. Okay, well, so what's the breakdown into different threes? Ectomorph is ex outside, ecto. Meso is middle size and then you have endo uh, morph inside. Mm -hmm. We call big bone. Okay? There are women who are the right size and they thick. Mm, that's the right size. That that your size. That's scientific. That's science, brother. Being thick is scientific. Yes. Is the right size. As opposed to being thin. Now you have African women who are very thin. And you have African women, Ethiopians, Kondikas in particular, on the walls that that are thick. They're not supposed to be thin. They weren't born to be thin. I'll give you another type of example. When I was working, I, I used to get up at quarter to four in the morning to prepare my day, and I'd go to sleep like I try to get by 10 o'clock, okay? When I retired, I now am going to bed at eight in the morning, and I'm getting up like at two or three in the afternoon. I am a night eye. I operate at night. People say, well, what's a, you, you need sunlight. No. I operate by starlight. You see, we think that we need sun. We do need sunlight. That's no doubt. Yeah. But that light, heat, and sound energy you get from the sun, you can get from the stars too. We don't know our history, fam. And so we have sisters who are trying to lose 100 pounds when in reality they were meant to be 180 pounds. See now That's their body type. Higher consciousness meets fashion, meets design, meets a representation of your higher self. How do you actually earn your crown? You gotta have some knowledge yourself. You have to be actively working on the path, consistently doing something great in your life, right? Now, you don't have to be a billionaire. You don't have to be a celebrity. I know I've crowned many people throughout my time, but it's more so about you recognizing who you are and you having something that connects to that in your everyday fashion, in your everyday style. You never see me without my crown. Why? Because it represents who I am and I want that to communicate every single time I walk outside. The sun, moon, and stars representing freedom, justice, equality, and enlightenment, representing truth. And a universal mind tapped in to the frequency of higher consciousness and purpose. If you want to represent those same standards at a higher level, and you want to have something that you can adore that represents your rulership in this universe, make sure you tap in and go to Crowns 19 and crown yourself. I'm 19 Keys, the designer of crowns, and I want to see you get crowned. Tap in. Now this 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 is this is an interesting conversation because I know body positivity mm -hmm. is a huge thing right now. That's right. Although there's also obesity. Yes. And I imagine that in the times that you're talking about, 
what people ate to get there is completely different than what people ate to get to where they are. And the reasons that a person would develop, and let's say be a little more big bone, right? Mm -hmm. Because today you have people who eat out of insecurity. Mm -hmm. They eat because of addiction, mm -hmm. right? Then you have the people who say, well, there's some people who just bought uh, big bone. We're not talking about that. Mm -hmm. Let's deal with the people. That is why I talk about customization because it's important. I don't like generalized movements at all mm -hmm. because you don't give the people that are actually going through real life things an opportunity to deal with themselves because they're thrown into a general uh, subjugation of a group of peoples. And because they have the same, you know, effect, right? But it's not the same causes, mm -hmm. right? And so one person can be big because the effect is their trauma. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Another person can be big because uh, 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 the cause, or rather one person is big because the cause is their trauma. Another person can be big because the cause, right, is because they're big ball, right? So that's the effect of it, that they're a little bigger. But society, when they do movements, they don't make room enough for those who are that way because of some ill, some illness or some toxicity or some traumatic thing or an addiction, right? Yes. And so that's why I don't like movements that just throw names on top of things and say, hey, everybody fits in this group, just be happy about it. That's right. No, because now you don't get these people opportunity to heal themselves. That's right. right? Now you don't get these people opportunity to actually be healthy and live a life based on their customization. Yes. Right? And so that's why at all levels it's important to think about what fits me Right? That's it. And then you fit in where you fit in. That's it. Right? So for for my advice for anybody is to never be generalized, right, and stereotypical movements because you're not even thinking for yourself at this point. And you can be happy about something that's negative for you. So you don't really want to have a positive attitude about negativity. You want to turn negativity into a positive which is completely different. Otherwise, positivity becomes a toxic trait because it doesn't allow you the awareness of things that are negative and ill for you, right? So instead, you want to be pure in your awareness and have understanding and say that, ah, no, that's actually not a good thing, so I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to make a change, which will make me feel better, which will produce a happiness. So you go through that process because for me, the mind has the ability to go through the high level factor of growth through the formula of mind equals potential awareness transformation, right? The mind being aware, having awareness of its potential. I can be high level. I, there is a version of myself that is better, that is greater, that I can envision, right? That is my power and my tool that I can utilize that comes from the sense of the mind. We can have a sense of self that is greater than the sense that we are, right? The awareness is knowing the skill sets that a person needs to develop, knowing who you are, right? The transformation is the process, the environment that you utilize to become that which you know is your potential. And so we have a world where people are utilizing their time for transformation and progression, then we have a society that is evolving. But society thinks they're evolving because they live in times where we have technological shifts and the technology has evolved from the 90s to the 2000s and the 1800s to the now, right? And we say, no, we're more evolved and advanced than we ever been. No, the technology is different. 
right? The human spirit has always been as advanced as it's going to be because it is already born with everything. That's right. Your ability to use the most advanced technology in the world, right, is based on your capabilities and understanding of development after you're born. You're giving a body. The body does nothing else. You, 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 you're not going to grow a third eye, not physically, right? You already have a third eye, right? You're not to develop four more arms. You don't need to do anything to the body. It is born perfect, right, in the sense that the way that the laws of the universe are set up, the way magnetism and gravity, the way air is set up, you got a lung for that. You have legs that are strong enough to defy gravity, right? Or, or some people call it magnetism weighing us down. You have ears that are directly there for sound and hearing. Then there were certain senses that God didn't give you because you didn't need them. So he gave those to the dolphins. He gave those to the whales. He gave those to different animals. You don't need bioluminescence in your skin. You don't need the power of chameleon like a reptile. No, but you are giving all the senses and everything you needed to perfection. And any augmentation of your physical capabilities, you understand me, is a, a spitting in God's face. You can't believe in God and then change what God made, right? Unless there's some deformity, right? Which is the human right aspect of our own mistakes from misunderstanding than the how we're supposed to work and function and form with each other, right? And so for me, when you get back to the appreciation of self, the understanding of God's self, the understanding of like, yo, I was made already, I'm given a body. This is perfect space suit. I can utilize this. This is dope. Oh, I got, ooh, I, can, I, I got melanin. Okay. Oh, you ain't got nothing? Oh, I don't worry about it. I know what to do with this. This is raw. I got dark eyes. Oh, yes. I hit the lotto. Right? Now I know what to do with this. Now, that's the physical. You don't take no credit for that. A woman being beautiful, you don't take no credit for that. You didn't do nothing for that. That was mom, dad, boom, you came out. That's hereditary, right? That's your gene pool. But now your intelligence, your spiritual intelligence, the wisdom that you gain, the grit that you gain in life, that willfulness, I can give you credit for that. That is you going on the journey of development and living life. That is you making progress, right, from that moment that you're born until the day that you die, right? That is the thing that I appreciate about human beings. The physical stuff do not matter. Right, the essence of who you are and the development of self along that journey throughout life, you learning and the things that you leave behind because your body disappears. But remember that breath, that car goes back into the world. It don't go nowhere, right? The body is even still here, right? It's the separation between the immaterial and the material, right? It's the separation of, you know, the flesh and the spirit that happens in what we call death. Because when they join together, that's what we call man being animated and being alive. But when they separated, we call that death. But all of that condensedness of experience that you gain, that's what breathes outward. And the joining in the way that the reality works is that, you know, the balance between flesh and spirit it can be seen in every breath, right? As we breathe, we're taking in chi and spirit, and it is necessary. The spirit feeds the flesh, right? If we stop breathing, the rhythm stops working, and they're separated, and we die. 
That's right. So that is, if you study the way we have to live, what keeps us alive, and you study the way God made us, you know how to live life. It is finding the divine balance between the spirit and the flesh. And to customize your existence. Yes, sir. Okay. Obesity is as dangerous as bulimia. So the key is we are all born with our own code. Mm. And we live our codes. And we are living in a world where people have defined, going back to what we're talking about, mm -hmm. they have created a customized world based on what is good for the European male Christian wealthy. Okay, that's the code. And we all live towards that. And what we have to do is understand that we're, we're all different in our own way. And there's a code. Look at the energy level. When you talk about the chi, when, when you look at the ka, you're looking at energy. And I have seen people of many different backgrounds, many different ways. If the energy, when, when our daughters were ill, and I would call home to see how they're doing, I would say, what, what, what is, what is Kondike doing now? She said, well, you know, my wife said, well, she's jumping from the chair to the couch. Okay. Well, she's all right. She may have a cold. She may have a flu. Look at her energy level. Because when, and now if I called and they said, well, you know, Sasha's laying down, she's real tired and she's not, then I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Energy. And the key is the, the energy, the chi level of, of how to build that within you to be able to understand who you are. But going back to the, the point I was making, love yourself. Love yourself for who you are. And if you look at yourself and you believe that you can do other things as it relates to your physical appearance, whatever it may be, don't say, I hate how I look. Say, I love how I look. I just need to do better. Mm. That's the key in life. Always be willing to do better. But you always have to love yourself. Because the only way you can successfully do what you need to do in your life is to love yourself. I've been going to Dr. Sebi since 1988. I now go to Ma'a, his wife. She's here in Brooklyn. And I remember visiting because, you know, where we're near where Dr. Sebi had his office on Pacific Street. Yes, sir. And the one thing that I remember Dr. Sebi telling us, every time I would visit the, the Herbal Institute, when I speak to Sister Ma'a, we get all these herbs. Because I'm fasting now as, as, as I'm going through this process from the winter solstice. Mm. And we take all these herbs. And some of us get disappointed because we still have the same challenges that we had. But we, we're, we're taking all these herbs, but we're still not doing what we're supposed to do. But the first step in healing is self-love. That's, that's the first step. And the reason why we do what we do, be it what we eat, what we drink, what we think, how we act, comes out of that self-love. And we've, taught, we've been taught to hate ourselves. And so when Dr. Clark gave us that assignment to look in the mirror and say, I love you, that was meant to stabilize our day so that everything that we did to, to customize our life was in our own best interest mm -hmm. and not in someone else's to live up to someone else's expectations. Yes, you've been given an assignment and you've got to fulfill it. It's your journey. And when all is said and done, you have a birth date and you have a death date. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is the dash between the two. Yes, sir. And that's the beautiful existence of life. 
Because the dash in between is what gives meaning to the life itself. The birth marks the beginning. You go through growth. You can go through decline. You can go through renewal. But what will you do in the middle? Right? Determines the value of the life, the value of the soul itself. Right? You start off as a cipher, a zero. Then you put that dash all the way through. As Honorable, Honorable Elijah Muhammad talked about theology of time. And you put another zero at the end, there's no value. But as that dash is being made, if you do something of value, by the time it reaches to that end, it can be a one, right? And it represents value created. And so your life is a process of producing some sort of value, right? And attaching that to your soul. It's not about what you attach to your flesh. It's not, a, it's not about how good you look while you're living. It's about the quality of how you live, right? Because that would determine who you are. We may, if we have pictures of someone, we know how they look. But it's how they lived is the reason that we remember them in the first place. The great ones, the historic ones, the scholars, the leaders, the war generals, the sciences, we remember their contribution of value during the dash, right? And so that if you live a life thinking about, I've been born, now what am I doing in the middle? Because the death date comes for all of us. So if you spend the whole time soul searching, you may spend the right time waiting on the right time because the right time is always now. We live different lives every single day. We live a whole life in each day. It's my whole life theory. During a cycle of 24 hours, right? A certain part of that we sleep, we go into darkness. But when we go into life, that person that we are, that makes that decision, I can go sleep at four in the morning right now. And when I go to finally go to sleep at four in the morning, I might wake up at seven or eight and I got a responsibility. But while I was up, I didn't mind it. Because the current self, not thinking about the future self. The current self is living his life. You're drinking alcohol, you're doing liquor, whatever it may be. You can be with somebody. I get to enjoy this experience, but my future self is going to live the consequences. And your present self is the one living the consequences of your past self. Through each day that you live, then you go to sleep, you download that memory, and sometimes you don't know what your past self did. You got so drunk the information didn't even download. Right? So now you're like, dang, why do I have a headache? What did I do yesterday? Well, right? Because that was your past self. But see, the beauty of reality is that every moment, you get to decide what your future is going to be. You get to decide where the tomorrow version of yourself is going to live. But all your yesterdays equal to your today. You understand me? And so I think about that, and it says that I have a responsibility to my future self to make the right decisions today, to make the right choices today, to change the habits into patterns of all my yesterdays so that we can have a collection of progress so that we live a better time, right? I want the time that I live in this cipher of reality, right, to be worth something. So I'm not going to make bad decisions every day because then I have to live those choices in the present. So you get to decide your reality. So I appreciate you watching High Level Conversations because you decided to do something during that dash 
And that's to put value to consciousness. That's to connect spirit to flesh. That's to be able to utilize the development of your mind to develop your mind. Because the more you develop your mind, the greater your mind can become to develop itself. It's like an AI machine working on itself. The more you add to it, it just becomes this machine learning process. And I say machine learning, but it's mind learning because they map the machine off of the mind. We are the great design. I am 19 Keys, and it's been a high-level conversation with the good brother, Kaba. Thank you for tuning in. Peace. Oh, okay. bro. <laughs> yes, man. No doubt. And so it seems like it's a metaphor. Like when you lose who you are on a spiritual level and you go into the physical level, you give away all your secrets of your spiritual level so people learn how to defeat you but if you had just stayed on your if Osar had continued staying on his spiritual path Satan would never have been able to get him in the coffin in the first place if Wanda had not been able to give to the woman his secrets through the physicalness of their relationship he would never have been defeated if Samson had never told Delilah that it was his locks his jed locks that was his secret to his strength, they would never have been cut off. And I think there's a metaphor there. And that is that when you lose your spirituality to the physicalness, not just in terms of a woman, but in general, wealth, that woman could have been wealth. Can I pay you for your secret? You know, it could have been something that you desired and what the devil does is gets into your head and finds out what you want the most and then offers it to you. And then when that offer occurs, that's when you give away your secrets of, of your, your strength, your vitality, who you are as a person, when you give up that. So that, that story that you told reminds me of, of the different ways in which the metaphor has been told. But in answer to your question, and it's a good question, Brother Amechi, because this is what children always ask me. They always say, uh, why do I need to know this? <laughs> you know, what's this going to do for me? And I, I liken it to a, a slingshot. And the slingshot, you put an object in the sling and you pull it back. The further back you go, the further in front you're going to propel it. And as you pull back, the purpose of pulling back a slingshot is not to stay there. It is to be able to propel yourself in front. So the purpose of knowing who you are, the further back I can pull you historically, the further back 19 keys, Amechi, can pull you back, the further in the future you can propel yourself. And so the purpose of understanding the past is that I dare go, in my book, Shabaka Stone, I dare go back before the beginning began. So when I'm pulling you back, I'm not just pulling you back from the moment time started. I'm pulling you back before time existed. I'm pulling you back to the waters of Nun, when all and everything was at rest in potential energy. And then when I let it go, when I let your mind go, it propels you into the future. So when you know the past, prophets are not psychics. They're just good historians. Because when you know what happened in the past, 
You can interpret what's happening in the present and you can project what's happening or what will happen in the future. And when that event happens, everybody will come to you and they, they think you're a psychic, but you're not. You're just a good historian. I know how all this is going to eventually work out. I've been through this cycle in my studies over and over and over again as it relates to the rise and fall of great civilizations. We tend to lose ourselves in a civilization when we forget who we are. With everything that we've discussed today about who we are as a person and, and, and that journey, as it relates to Wanda and what made him lose his thing, when he gave into the physicality of the world and lost his spirit, because you see something, ask yourself this question. When you do die, what do you bring with you? You don't bring your money. You don't bring all them sneakers you got. You can't bring that house. All you bring is your consciousness and what you did during your dash. During that time in your life, what did you do? How will people remember you? How will they call your name? To this day, I still quote Dr. John Henry Clark. He has left an impression imprint in my mind that I always speak of him and when I call his name I bring him into the room with us when I talk about Dr. Ben and when I talk about uh, Dr. Sharshi McIntyre my intellectual mother I bring her into the room with us she becomes one for us that's why we do libation and so why do you need to know what happened in the past so you can interpret what's happening in the present and you can project what's going to happen in the future. But when you project what happens in the future, then you lay out your plan on how to get there. We're all walking around aimlessly. And I, I say this to the young people all the time. You have to know where you've been in order to know where you are to prepare for where you're going. And that's, that's how I see it. That's how I've developed my life. I consider myself to have been successful in what I've done specifically because I have done what I've told you I believe is most important. When you know yourself, when you love yourself, when you know better, you do better. Mm. And that's my message to young people. Know better and do better. Given it Black History Month, um, I want to give y'all thought. Right now, we're gonna talk about a lot of different black people that you don't know about, right? But I want to talk about one of my favorite animes, Dragon Ball Z. Mm. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now, Dragon Ball Z, we already know in Dragon Ball they go Super Saiyan. Yeah. Now, my good brother, you know, blessed me with the concept of the Super Sapien. You understand me? Those human beings with the magical powers and abilities. Now, Dragon Ball Z reminds me. Of similar to Superman, which I both look at as the story of the black man, right? So if you start from the beginning, what was Goku? Goku was a man from a, a, a distant civilization than the one that he was left. Similar, like Goku, I mean, Superman. Superman came from a distant planet, but he came from, right, a race of warriors, right? Now, Goku had bumped his head as a child, so he didn't know who he was or where he come from which means he did not know his power. He started training at a young age and he was, you know, fighting against the oppressive forces, right, of the Red Ribbon Army at the time, right? Now, as Goku started to develop, he started to learn how to master his chi, right? He was fighting, 
And then he started to realize that he actually had superpowers that he didn't even know about, right? And he started to manifest himself into being a great warrior. He was the champion of Irvin. Then he realized he had brothers in a whole different place, you know, that were, uh, 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 uh. and when they came, they didn't know they was brothers. Well, he didn't know that that's where he came from, right? But they despised him because he didn't even know who he was. They like, man, you weak, similar to what Superman went through, right? When, you know, General Zod came to Earth and he was like, man, why did you ain't conquer these people? You don't know who you is. You don't know where you come from. Like, what's going on? Like, you were sitting here to be a general. And Superman was like, no, nah, man, I don't even be showing people my powers like that, man. I just be saving people, flying around. Now, Superman got his powers from the sun, right? Now, we already know if you're going to get powers from the sun, you got to get dark. <laughs> Especially if you got the ability to fly all the way up to the sun, get roasted. Superman ain't had not one tan in not one of those movies. <laughs> and he had an original name, Kalel. You understand me? Now, Superman didn't know his pops, you feel me? But his pops left behind some ways to where he could transfer that knowledge to him of who his people was. So he started to gain knowledge himself and what his destiny was. I believe he said the S didn't stand for Superman. What did it stand for? Stand for like, wisdom or peace or power or something like that people in the comments will let me know but it was a symbol of hope right and then we go back to Goku Goku came from a race of these sands right now these sands would draw power where they could transform from the moon instead right where Superman was of the sun those sands were of the moon now they race were killed by an oppressive leader named Frieza Frieza came and destroyed all of them because he feared their potential Right, even though they was working for him, but he feared they potential of who and what they would become. Right, so he killed they whole race, but the guy who was working for him, Vegeta, I'm giving y'all a breakdown, but I want to anyway. Vegeta was working for Frieza. He was the number one general, but he didn't know that Frieza killed his pops. Frieza lied the whole time, right? But when Vegeta found out that Frieza was the one that killed him, now he wanted to turn against Frieza, but he was working for his oppressor the whole entire time because Frieza seen the future that one day a Super Saiyan would arise, that they will realize who they were and the legend of this Super Saiyan will be his ultimate demise. Now, so now Frieza, he came to Earth. He found out that his, his soldiers had met with a force that he didn't know nothing about. They killed some of his soldiers like, who is that? Now Frieza been afraid of this prophecy. This was his virginity the whole time because he wanted to be the supreme, most powerful in the universe. But he know as long as these sayings existed, right, they come from a bloodline that will always be more powerful than him. Now, Goku, he a nappy-headed character, right? He got the only hair that sticks up away from the sun. His hair sticks up just like black people. It defies gravity. Now, that sounds like somebody, right? His hair is natty and dreaded up just like the brothers that be doing the dreads, right? So Goku, one day, he learned and through the anger and fighting against his oppressor, Frieza. He learned Frieza is the one that killed everybody on his home planet in his homeland, right? He turned into a super saiyan. You know, he started looking like um, the aborigines over there, you know, in, in, in Europe, right? And he turned into a super saiyan because he learned how to cultivate his power and his chi and he transformed, right? He started thinking about all the people that Frieza was killing because Goku was good. He only wanted to kill people. Right, he'll fight you just to get stronger because the thing about the Saiyan race, the more they fight, the stronger they become. Everything that they go through makes them stronger, right? Just like black men and just like black people in America. 
So as a child, I related to their story so much because it was the actual fight that gave them strength. If they didn't fight, they did not get stronger whatsoever. And so their concentration of that fight seen that demonstration of them growing and becoming greater. Now, some people theorize the reasons that they couldn't make any Saiyans black is because Frieza called them monkeys. He called them a monkey race. And don't that sound like somebody, right? So therefore they didn't make the skin black, even though there was this time that this evil germ being came on Super Saiyan. And when he was turned into, look, my, my director is like, this is a long story. But even though when this Super Saiyan being, that evil boo came <laughs> and he was an experiment, but they tried to turn him good. So they wished him to become good. And lo and behold, he turned into Oog, right? And Oog was, he looked just like a Saiyan, but he was a black man. And Oog was one of the strongest, but they don't be showing Oog because they don't want to show the development of his character. You understand me? And so Oog is really, when you look at the entire Dragon Ball Z is what the story is really about, you know? And so he had to take that, that brown germ, like the messenger talked about, and he had to turn that into good. He had to conquer that, but he, ooh, it was impossible for them to kill him. You understand me? So, anyway, I say all that to say, man, we are Super Saiyan people, man. You know, we are the Gokus. We are the Vegetas. You understand me? And everything that we go through, we grow through. It makes us stronger. It doesn't suppress us. It doesn't oppress us. It grows us. But when you don't know who you are, you don't even realize that's the characteristic of your race, right? Because when he realized that, oh, I'm a Saiyan and Saiyans get stronger through fighting, he realized it wasn't a problem no matter how many people came to earth because all y'all doing is helping me develop myself into the greater version. And he kept evolving and it became godlike to where he was able to continue to transform into different versions of himself that got stronger and stronger and he can fight the guys of this world, the guys of any universe. And and it was a customization that he had to go through that what made him strong and how he transformed himself ain't the same thing that made Vegeta strong. Vegeta got strong through his pride. And when he thought, everybody thought his ego was his weakness until he learned that it was actually his strength. And when he was able to realize the customization of self, he was able to fully evolve into a guy just like Goku had realized within himself, right? And when Goku stopped trying to be the greatest fighter and he just let himself flow, that's when he tapped into his orchard instinct, right? And so it was the realization of self that these right, the, 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 the Saiyans went through to develop who they are. So when you learn about your melody, you learn about your history, you learn about your people, you learn about your struggle, you learn that you come from a warrior people, you learn about who you are, everything can be used to develop you into a super saiyan too. I'm 19 Keys. This has been your high level conversation. Collect them Dragon Balls. That's the knowledge of self. Peace. Pig leg baked. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the first resort owner in American history. Can you give us a brief synopsis of who he was? Wow, I remember Pegleg Bates when I used to see him on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm. You know, and, and, and you know, this generation would not know this concept. I saw him in black and white, okay? Pegleg Bates, he was, a, he was a brother that had been in an accident young. He lost part of his leg and even part of his hand. But he was an entertainer, so he kept on dancing. Mm -hmm. And he became very famous and he was on television shows and he was a dancer mm -hmm. 
And when you stop and think about people with two full legs ain't dancing. Yeah. And you think of him with a peg, he had a stick. Yeah. You know, but long before they had the legs that you could build, they used to put pegs on your leg. Yes, sir. And he danced, and he danced as good as somebody that had two legs. And he was a phenomenal person. And to be able to tell you more of a story, I would tell you the, 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 the time that I met him because I worked with the great attorney right. at war, uh, Alton Maddox. And uh, Alton Maddox um, did a lot of work. He had a, a, a workshop series. He invited me to speak to the community. He had it here in Brooklyn. It was called the Slave Theater years ago. And then he moved it around the city as he progressed. But he decided that he wanted to start a retreat for children, our children, in 1993. And he asked me if I would develop a curriculum for him. And so I developed a curriculum for the children. It was two weeks for the young brothers. The first two weeks in July was two weeks for the sisters at the end. And I developed the curriculum, the things that they would do. I went out and got teachers like gym teachers that we had an Olympics up there. Um, we took them to West Point, the military academy, to, to give them that military mind. Uh, we, we, we took them to the farm so they could pick their own corn and things like that. And we had um, history class. And um, I would go up and I would teach classes and I would be part of the team up there. And one day in, in the beginning, this would have been, well, our first year was 1994. It, it lasted a lot. It, it lasted close to two decades. And um, in the beginning, it must have been 1995, I think, Peg Leg Bates, where we used to go up, the, the resort was upstate New York, a place called Kerhunkson, New York. And right next to the camp, he had his own house. Back in the day, the greatest performers would go there because black people were not allowed to go into uh, resorts. Uh, so Peg Leg Bates created his own resort where the greatest performers would go. I'm talking about Sammy Davis Jr., Billy Eckstein, okay? I'm talking about uh, Miles Davis. I'm, I'm going back. Even the European-American entertainers would come up because they want to hang out with black folk. And so they would come up. And in the cafeteria is where they had the stage, where they'd perform, and he'd have dinners where you'd eat dinner, and the performers would perform. Beautiful, phenomenal place. And um, I remember when I, when he came down, uh, I stayed to do security for the retreat while the the retreaters and the and the um, and the directors went off someplace. I forget where they went, but they went away from the retreat. And so I was on security, and I was in the parking lot. And I remember I saw a car come down, and I saw him come out. I saw Peg Lake Bates come out. I mean, this is the first time I ever saw him physically. And um, I, 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 he, he parked the car. I went over to him. I introduced myself to him. I said, uh, Mr. Bates, I have watched you uh, throughout my life on, on Ed Sullivan and dancing. I said, just congratulations and thank you for allowing us to use this area for our young people. And he started talking about that having this retreat and having Attorney Maddox uh, do this retreat uh, fulfilled a dream of his for the children, that he would have children come up because adults came up. Sometimes adults would come up with their children, but they 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 never really used it the way this was being used now. Almost like a camp. You you couldn't call it a camp 
because you need certain licenses to call it a camp. So you got to call it a retreat. Okay. And he told me a story about this place, and you would have to know how it looked in order to understand my story, but there was one section that was in one area, and then there was the back section that was uh, bigger. And he said, we made so much money during DSEG when, when there was only black only. We made so much money. Look at what I was able to build. And he pointed to all the other uh, places, the, uh, the, the rooms that he had built. He said, we made so much money. He said that there would be 30 buses pulling out of the parking lot while 30 buses were coming in. He said, people from around the world came here. Not just the East Coast, people from the West Coast, because there was no place in the West Coast to go, because, you know, they stole that land from that family out that they just gave them back that area. And he said the worst thing that happened to him was integration. He said because when integration happened, black folk were so happy to be able to go to the resorts that they were never allowed to go. And he said we began to lose the flow of people coming. And he began to tell me about integration because, remember, he's my elder. And so he's telling me stories about, you know, when he used to go dance, they couldn't stay in a hotel, so they had to stay with the community. You know, like like people that own houses, Sammy Davis Jr., some of the greatest talent, while, while the big names, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, would stay at the hotels, Sammy Davis Jr. had to stay in the community. Peg Leg Bates had to stay in the community because they couldn't go into the hotels. They ate with the community because they couldn't go into the restaurant. And he began to tell this story. And I, 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 I had heard the story. I knew the story. I grew up with these stories. But to hear this brother, Peg Leg Bates, tell the story brought it to life. And I began to realize that he said it wasn't about integration. He said, that is what Europeans did to scare other white people. Because when white people thought that black people tried to move into your neighborhoods, he said, we weren't trying to move into their neighborhoods. All we wanted was if we wanted to stop in a restaurant to eat after a long trip, we had a right to do that. If we wanted to go into a hotel, we had a right to do that. We didn't have to sit in the back of the bus or a special part of the train. We could sit anywhere we wanted to. It wasn't about integrating with them. It was about desegregating the country. There's a difference. Black folk didn't want to move into white people's neighborhood. They just wanted to be able to eat where they wanted, to go where they wanted. If their bathroom was broken, and that was the black-only or colored-only bathroom, they wanted to be able to go into the other bathroom that, that, that had the sign white soap. If they wanted to drink from a water fountain because they were thirsty and their water fountain was broken, they didn't want to go without water because the white water fountain wasn't broken. And so we misinterpreted what integration and desegregation was. And we started to use their word integration as opposed to our word desegregation because the South was segregated. I grew up during that generation. I, I was born two years before Emmett Till was murdered. And so I grew up in that civil rights movement with Rosa Parks. I was, I was 1955, you know, when, when all this was going on, going up into the 60s, going up into the 70s. When you talk about rap music, I was part of rap music. 
I was part of that generation. When I first started teaching in Gary, uh, uh, in New York City, October 1979, the number one song on the radio was Rapper's Delight. Okay, that was my generation. I came up with the Gil Scott Herons, Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez. Okay, I grew up with the last poets. When I was teaching in the Bronx, right down the street on Sedgwick Avenue was where they used to have the house parties. In fact, it's dedicated. Cool Herc, the house party. That was my generation. And then people started, I remember when I first started teaching in 1979, I used to see a brother come and open the, 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 the back of his car and he and I'd see people line up and they they would buy um, like what appeared to me, what I found out it was was audio tapes. You know, I'm talking about African Bombada. He was selling his audio tapes from the back of his car. So when, and the lines were long and people were paying money. And so people said, wait a minute, this rap thing is happening. Let's take it over. And so they took it over. And what was a positive message being given by, by different groups that were coming up? I mean, I, I remember going to dances and I heard them talking over Barry White. I said, oh, that talking over Barry White. He said, well, you know, he called himself Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. I remember this, but what they did was they co-opted it and they made it sex and violent. What was once a message coming out of the Black Panther movement, what was once a message coming from Malcolm X and the Civil Rights Movement became about wealth. And, you know, what was interesting, we were talking tonight, you know, about all these images of, of wealth. When you stop and think about it, look at how the rappers have developed themselves. Look at what they're talking about. They're talking about wealth. They're talking about violence. They're talking about, in a sense, I'm not saying superiority, but they're talking about how good they are, uh, wherever it may be that they go. Those are the same attributes of white supremacy. When you look at how many people, I mean, I remember, I'm New York, so I remember Donald Trump, okay? And I remember his relation. This is why it's very interesting about Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is not a racist, and he's not a misogynist. He's a narcissist. If you like Donald Trump, he like you. If you're, if you're black, if you're a woman, don't make a difference. If you like him, he likes you, and he will go to the ends of the earth to support you. And that's very important to understand the psychology of this, because he will become a racist if he has to. He will become a misogynist if he has to. If it fits his narcissistic plan, he will become this. But let me tell you something. I remember Studio 54, and I remember the places where Donald Trump would end up. He used to go to rappers' parties. He, there's pictures of him. In 1992, when they interviewed Donald Trump, he said if he could come back in his next life, he'd want to come back as an educated black man. He said it. I heard him say it, so it's not something I heard people say. He said because the one individual in America that has the most promise for the future is an educated black man. Think about that statement. Think about what he actually said, and then think about you, brethren. 
think about what he said about the prospects of who he viewed to be the future of America. And then look at what they're trying to do with denying you your education so that you will never become that educated black man. Because they all know the truth. And when I say educate, I'm talking about conscious. I'm not necessarily talking about going through their system and accepting that. Because I've gone through their system. I never accepted it. It's just simple like that because it just didn't work with my... No, my mind just couldn't function like that. Their, their, their religion, I grew up Roman Catholic. A choir boy, altar boy. I wanted to be a priest. Uh, can you believe that? <laughs> I, but the fact is that as I went through this process, like, like when I turned 13, 14, and I started seeing that priests couldn't date, couldn't be with women, there was something wrong with that. I, I knew that the woman was my compliment. When I realized that they said that God is a man only, I had a problem with that. Because, I, you know, I, I, I got into a lot of trouble when I was growing up because I was in a Catholic school. And I would say, is God great? And the nun would say, yes, Booker, God is great. I said, really great? She'd say, yeah, God is great. I said, but is God great? Isn't the mother of God great? <laughs> they made me kneel on greats every time I would ask questions like that. To have a God, you must have a goddess. There's no way that God cannot be a woman. The balance. God is both man and woman combined. Aren't we both a man and woman combined? Aren't you half your mommy and half your daddy? Whether you be a man or a woman, you half woman and half man. This is who we are. We, we are the perfect blend of both man and woman. We are God having a human experience. We are the creator having a human experience. And to realize that is the first cosmic com uh, commandment. The second cosmic commandment goes back to what 19 Keys said. And that is to treat the creator's creations as you would treat yourself. And if you should see yourself as a creator, the highest form of existence, then how you see nature, not just, your, not just other humans, but how you view botany, zoology, how you treat the Creator's creations is how you treat the Creator. So that as we move forward, family, you know, we just have to understand this. It's simple, yet it's complex. Particularly when you're living in this environment where everybody... You know, they admire disrespect. They admire immorality. And they think that the answer is in killing and murder and beating. And when someone hits you, that if you don't hit back, okay? But it goes back to what Malcolm said, because if someone hits you, you strike back, that's not violence. What they did to you is violence. What you did to them is self-defense. And Malcolm said that self-defense isn't violence. It's intelligence. I'm not one for turning the other cheek. Because I know if you smack one side, you only go smack the other. So before I give you the chance to smack the other, I'm going to make sure you can never smack another cheek in your life. And this is how our, our mindset has to be. I don't promote it, but I do protect it. 
And this is what I think the Black Panther Party was saying. And we are growing up out of this. It's powerful. But going back to Peg Leg Bates, uh, he was somebody that we should know. If you're a dancer, you should know Peg Leg Bates. That's your history. And the reason why you're on the stage today, the reason why Chris Brown is on the stage today is because of Peg Leg Bates. The reason why uh, 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 Kevin Hart is doing comedy is because there were few, there, 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 there were those that came before him, like Step and Fetch It. Okay, yeah, Stephen Fetcher had to do a lot of nonsense. He had to deal with a lot of things, but it goes back to what we were talking about because that pain that Stephen Fetcher did made the path for Kevin Hart smoother. And then from Kevin Hart, you look back, you see Eddie Murphy. You go back, you see Richard Pryor. You go back, you can't forget Mom's Mabley. There's a history to this. And when, you, when I pull you back, this is where you see Stephen Fetcher. This is where you see uh, those that came before, Moms Mabley. This is where you see Flip Wilson. Yeah, they had Flip Wilson put a dress on and act like Geraldine. But that led to Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart. They paved the way for them. They had to go through the rough road in order to make the path for you smoother. Now it's your job to create the superhighway so that the future generations don't have to go through what you went through. Because Step and Fetch it made it possible for you not to go. I've often said Malcolm had to die in order for Minister Farrakhan to live. I often said Martin Luther King was assassinated in order to let uh, Jesse Jackson live. Because it was in their steps moving forward that allowed future generations to do what they had to do. I pray one day to see the school that I'd like. I may not. But if you go to my website www.kabakamane.com you put your email in a six day e-course a free six day e-course will come down to you with my study guide Dr. John Henry Clark told me when I was a young brother teaching in the beginning he said you may not get to your destination but if you should leave a proper road map behind those that come behind you will just continue your journey my study guide is my roadmap. It'll tell you where I'm headed. It's 44 pages. It'll tell you where I'm headed. It's, it's telling you what I see. But you know, today, this moment is ours. But tomorrow is promised to nobody. I don't plan on going anyplace. I plan on Methuselahizing this. I plan on living 600 years. But I just may not. And in the case I don't, I want you to have my roadmap so that you can live and continue my work. My work is on my, on, on my Instagram page, Kabakamene, K-A-B-A-K-A-M-E-N-E. I use it as my community bulletin board to let you know where I'm going, the work I'm doing. I put up some, I think, very inf important information. And so I say my website has my books on there. I wrote a book on, your, on the brother that first developed the African Studies program, Howard University, 1923, William Leo Hansberry. My next book was Spirituality Before Religions. We talked a little bit about it in the interview. Spirituality is unseen science, and science has seen spirituality. I then complemented that book by writing the, the book I really wanted to write, Shabaka Stone, and I just published Shabaka Stone for Children. 
I was so impacted by Shabaka Stone and the astronomical story that it told, the spiritual story, the science. I said, I got to give this to the children. So I wrote a children's book on Shabaka Stone. It's all up on my link in my bio. It's also on my website. For those that live in another country, because I'm sure this is going around the world, I suggest Amazon. Because the price that it costs to send it to you is more than what the book costs. If you're in the United States, you can go to my website and you can go to my uh, Instagram page and I'll sign it. I'll send it off to you. But if you're outside the United States, I recommend that you go to Amazon and order it there. Family, we can do this. And, you know, my brother, 19 Keys, it just becomes important that we realize that we can do this. We're doing it as we speak. And I think that the value of this type of conversation that we're having, 19 Keys, is valuable because it's demonstrating that this can be done. Yes, sir. With everything that we've been through, we can do this. Yes, sir. And if you look at it, it's called Heka. Heka is will. When Marcus Garvey said, up you mighty race, you will accomplish what you will. You will it to happen. That was the African perspective of what we today call magic. Magic ain't nothing but sleight of hand. It's an illusion. But our ancestors knew that if they were to will something strong enough, they would get it. Yes, sir. I think of our ancestors on the plantation, working on those plantations, being treated the way they were being treated. They knew that if they just kept working, if they just kept doing what they were doing, somebody would be free. They knew that they might not be free, but they just knew if they just kept on keeping on, somebody would be free. And then that's us. We are their dream, their aspirations, their hopes, their ideas, everything that they wanted. They literally manifested us on the plantation in 1790. They brought us into existence. They're part of that 1,048,576 human beings that willed us into existence. And if they were willing to do that, then we have no right not to continue their work. And that's what I've dedicated my life to, to my brother 19 Keys and to my brother Amechi and to others who are in your staff and work with you. I love and I respect you. If there's anything I can do to keep you uh, in support, anything I can You are doing it already, brother. Well, then, that, then, then <laughs> I'm fulfilling my dream, brother. Because yes, sir. I'm passing the baton over to you, uh, to your generation, to carry on this great legacy, to fulfill our ancestors' names. Yes, sir. We shall Thank overcome. Thank you, brother. Peace. Peace. Salam alaikum, brother. <laughs>
Y'all want to know if I'm going to get into wrestling or into boxing or I'm going to start bodybuilding and all those things. Now, the answer is no, right? I'm developing these broad shoulders and arms and legs because I can, right? I wanted to develop myself into the greater version, but I couldn't do it without the sports muscle. Two of these a day, and it increases adenosine triphosphate, which helps deliver that oxygen to my blood while I'm working out, right? And then it helps decrease recovery time. So in this, it says we got the elderberry in there. We got the vitamin D, the sea moss, the zinc, and the cordyceps. Now that conversation, how you tapped in. This is the super saiyan, you understand me, pill right here. Yeah. Then we got the vitamin C moss. We have uh, smart moss. So each one does something different. Y'all know we don't be getting enough sun. So you got to get that vitamin D in you anyway to regulate the hormones. You got to get that vitamin C because we don't naturally produce ascorbic acid. So you got to get it through food or some sort of supplementation in order for you to be balanced. You got to get that green tea extract in there, help build up that immune system. Now we got shrooms, but not the shrooms that give you the psychedelic experience, right? But it is the shrooms that help you increase your psychic abilities, meaning your mind, meaning your brain, right? As we age and we develop, we get old, decrepit, can't remember things, start to lose things. So we got to tap in, especially in a world that's constantly making us mentally exhausted. Then, of course, we got the goal. Now, y'all already know the goal, man, a goal to have us tapped into our electrical wiring systems to where your brain synapses is firing just like you was a baby. You're constantly developing, regrowing and reflowing, right? So if you want to tap into those energy systems of mineralizations that I use to tap into my body, rather than being infused with the chemicalizations to where you no longer God body, y'all come tap into the gold water pills, man. I'm 19 Keys, and I see y'all on the next high-level conversation. Use discount code Kava. No, use discount code SAND. You got to spell it right in order to get 22% off. Tap in. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.